Good morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. And today, I've welcomed back my friends Scott Tudor and Christian Miscagney for another episode of Wrestling Discussions, where this week, we talk about the AEW pay-per-view Double or Nothing, and also WWE's Money in the Bank, and just talk about the status of these two federations. And for those who listened to our last wrestling podcast, you know that we had our Fantasy Wrestling Draft. In the past two weeks, Scott Christian and I have been hard at work writing our shows for our promotions. And I'm not kidding when I say it's been a lot of work. I mean, it's it has. It's really been a like a part-time job for me almost. But it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've been very creative in our, our booking and a lot of, a lot of fun um, back and forth. So we are going to give you guys an update on what has been happening in these federations for the past two weeks. So, Scott... Welcome back to the show. Thanks again for having me, Ben. I'm excited to uh, discuss the last few weeks' events in both uh, real wrestling and our uh, made-up feuds and uh, associations between the three of us. Well, we'll call that wrestling the way it should be. And and, uh, Christian, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Glad to be here. I am still... uh... With Jericho, with that flag of protest against Aubrey Edwards' uh, two count last night, so I'm still, I'm still unhappy about that. But I am happy that uh, Miscagney Championship Wrestling right now is definitely ahead in the ratings wars. I'd have to say. <laughs> well, we'll see about that when we get to the show. All right. So, um, but continue on with AEW, Christian. Um, Let's go ahead and start talking about AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which uh, was last night. Um, it was filmed in Jacksonville, and um, they had a pretty stacked card. They had a you know good variety of matches, and let's start up with the ladder match. So the ladder match consisted of like nine guys battling basically in kind of like a WWE money for the money in the bank ladder match, but this time all the wrestlers were climbing up the ladder to grab a chip that would give that winner a chance for the AEW World Championship, uh, a chance for a match. So it had a lot of talented wrestlers in AEW. You had Darby Allen. You had uh, uh, SC, SCU with Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. Um, I mentioned uh, Darby Allen. You had um, Orange Cassidy in that match. Joey Janela was filling in. Uh, you had Colt Cabana and... Um, uh, Chris, not Chris, uh, Kip Sabian. So it was a really, a really talented group of wrestlers. And I was actually kind of disappointed going into the match, though, because one of my favorite wrestlers in AEW, Ray Phoenix, was injured and couldn't compete in this match because he got hurt on Wednesday night. Well, he needs to learn how to do a suicide dive better. I mean, Jesus well, Christ, how short's he going to come up? Those yeah, because guys, guys can't 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 catch him that far. Got yeah. bar- got barely cleared the top rope. Got it. So, Christian, what's your take on this ladder match? Well, before the ladder match, one thing I want to point out is the, the big difference between coronavirus AEW shows and coronavirus WWE shows. Yeah, they're both in empty arenas, but AEW has more of a big-time feel. It puts pretty much all of its wrestlers and other people that work for the company in the crowd 
Your fe- um, your friend Pineapple Pete. Pineapple Pete was there. I, I hate that guy. And I hate that guy. But man, I think AEW is just crushing them, just in the overall optics of how, like, compare Raw and compare SmackDown to Dynamite and the and the you know the complete empty arena versus you know just having the the twenty wrestlers you know cheering and yelling uh, i think i think it makes the world world difference but i agree but back to I your agree. question the ladder match um i mean i hate i hate when they make us suspend belief so much like number 1 and 2 being csu i mean in reality why wouldn't they one of them let let the other one get the chip and then it just be over with or them decide hey let's let's get it and then a gentleman's agreement we'll we'll have a match for it you know it just it made no sense it was stupid you know the, how they both went for the ladder and then they both started wrestling um I mean, overall, I mean, my my picks going in were, I said it was either going to be Darby Allen or it was going to be whoever the mystery entrant was. And, I mean, it was, it was good. It was a lot of spots. And, um, uh, kind of what you would expect, I think. Well, the mystery entrant was Brian Cage, who made his AEW debut coming over from Impact Wrestling. Um, and, um, I mean, he's a huge, huge guy. Um, he's a professional bodybuilder. I mean, big guy. Did a lot of stuff with Rob Van Dam over in um, Ring of Honor Impact. Um, so he came in. I mean, this one of the things I really liked about the, the match, though, is, I mean, he came in and he was just physically dominant with everybody. Well, and, also, not to interrupt you, but. I'd like to point out, I really love that they paired him with Taz. Oh, I you know, agree. That was Taz on his uh, entrance music. And uh, mm-hmm. and that's a Taz has kind of been floating around with not a real for sure role. Um, I love that he's going to be the mouthpiece for this, for this badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brian Cage comes in. I mean, when he was dominating everybody, which in a way I, I wrote a note on that. I'm like, the thing with Cage coming in and dominating everybody, I'm like, basically AEW just said that everybody else on their roster is inferior to this guy. And one of the things I was looking forward to, though, was Luchasaurus. Um, when Luchasaurus had a segment with Brian Cage, I mean, they went at it, but it it, it really didn't live up to my expectation. I thought they could have got, gone harder at each other and stronger with them being two just really physical guys. So that, that was disappointing to me. Cage ended up... Uh, kind of getting the advantage there. But I do think they had some really good high points, like with SCU and Kazarian. I thought uh, Darby Allen, you know, coming off the top of the ladder with a skateboard was a nice spot. Um, I thought Joey Janela had a couple of, you know, good good points. Um, and I thought um, Jimmy Havoc coming in and helping Kip Sabian at the beginning was pretty good. But overall, um, I'm, I'm glad that they gave the win to Cage because I just think of all those guys in there, he was by far the star, and I think it made sense to put him over. 
And I got disagree. I completely disagree with you when you think that Cage buried everybody else in the in the ladder match or buried the division because I mean, number one, you're talking about eight guys, none of whom are main eventers. They're all mid carters. Um, Cage is number nine, so he was the last one in, so he's well rested. Um, he's also twice the size of half the competitors and still much bigger than Scorpio and Kazarian. And I don't even get me started on Luchasaurus because they book him like he's, they don't take advantage of his size at all. So I don't, I don't think they said, I don't think they said they made it look like the rest of the roster was inferior. I mean, you had, basically a lot of cruiserweights and then he's this monster. I mean, he's, he's supposed to go out there and dominate him, especially when he's been resting the whole time. Hmm. Well, that, that was what I was, I was saying there. I mean, he was just, other than Luchasaurus, there wasn't anybody even physically close to be able to compete with him. I mean, Orange Cassidy, I mean, Cage was carrying Orange Cassidy up the ladder and guy, which was kind of a funny segment. And then they pull him down, but, but overall, I thought Cage made a good entrance. Um, I didn't really know that much about him, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens with him because I do think AEW kind of needed to bring in some more big physical guys because they brought in um, Lance Archer, who we'll get to in a moment. Um, you know, they've got uh, Brody Lee now, so along with uh, some of their others. But I just think adding a, a good big guy is, is a benefit for them. Scott, what do you know about this Brian Cage? So my exposure to Brian Cage has, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you guys correct me, please. He was he did some time in Lucha Underground that used to come on uh, out of L.A. It was on the El Rey network for a while. Uh, I was very impressed with him in in that, that he would get in there and mix it up with the, the Luchadors and uh, what they called Johnny Mundo over there. But now it's... Uh, uh, John Morrison out of WWE. Johnny Mundo was over there. He and Cage mixed it up quite a bit. Uh, I encourage you guys to look up some of that video if you haven't uh, seen any of that. Unfortunately, that federation went defunct. And uh, I did keep up a little bit with Cage and TNA just randomly. But uh, I'm excited that he's coming in AEW for the same reasons you guys said. He's a big, strong guy. He can be a, a impact player pretty much immediately, which obviously he was last night. And uh, I feel like he can go with the smaller guys or the bigger guys and and make a good match. So I think it's a plus for AEW and the fans. Yeah. Well, with that win, that gives him an opportunity to have a match against John Moxley. So that should be a battle of two hardcore guys. Um, hey, Christian, what was some of your thoughts on some of the other wrestlers in the in the the ladder match? Darby Allen. Did a huge spot, looked real, sold it like a champ. Um, I thought uh, the bad boy, Joey Janela, had a, I think it was on Orange Cassidy. He had a death, that Death Valley driver. That was a nice spot. Um, I mean, it was a spot fest. I mean, it, you know, it, it was what it was. I mean, I don't think it, it was fine. Uh, I mean, 
like I said, I mean, everybody kind of did what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it overall, a, I gave it a B. Um, I mean, I don't think it was anything um, super outstanding. I wasn't going like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, any moves like that. I thought it was a good, solid performance uh, for all the guys and, you know, pretty good way to, to open the show. So next match, we have MJF versus Jungle Boy in a battle of two of the smaller guys in the Federation. So, Christian, what was your take on this match? Um, I think it stole the show. Possible, I agree. Possible match of the night. And I think it uh, solidified my opinion that they need a cruiserweight division so that somebody like Jungle Boy or Darby Allen or Sammy Guerrero could realistically compete for a championship. I agree. Um, I, I thought this match was great. Um, I gave it an A. It, I thought it was, in my opinion, the best match of the night. Um, I thought I thought MJF did a great job of being a heel. I mean, he sold the fact he was like faked a knee injury because he claimed he had been hurt, and then he came back and attacked Jungle Boy. I just think he does a really good job of getting heat. Um, and I thought, you know, they had several pinfall attempts they kicked out. They had some really big spots on both guys. And I, I thought it was a really good overall match. And Scott, what's your take on these two guys? Well, as I said earlier, I didn't really get to watch the match, but I will speak on uh, the two athletes for sure. MJF, to me, it, it, for such a young guy, he is is probably in the top five heels in wrestling, in, in my opinion, right now. He just he just draws heat. He's got the swagger. I think he's money. I think they can do just about anything with him. Uh, super good athlete, and he's just got the right the attitude and the the swagger about him. It's just he he makes you love to hate him. And Jungle Boy, I, I'm going to agree with Christian on this. He is a super athlete, but they need to develop a cruiserweight division to, to let him be more significant because. It, it's hard to sell him going in there and defeating somebody like a cage or, or a Jericho or somebody bigger like that. They need, they need a cruiserweight division to make him, you know, more of a legitimate uh, threat to a title. And I think that he could carry that title super athlete. I've, I've been impressed with him. I'll admit that I uh, was spying on Christian's uh, Facebook page last night as he was given the play by plays. So I was kind of keeping up with it as uh, Christian was posting about it. So sounded like Jungle Boy put on a very good show. Yeah. Hey, Christian, to your point about the the well, I guess to Scott's point as well about the the cruiserweight or light heavyweight division. I mean, talk about some of these other light heavyweights you, that are in this division because you've talked about Darby Allen, but there are a wide variety of really talented guys in AEW that are Joey, smaller and catchy. Joey Janela. Um, I mean, super bad Kip Saban would be a great, you know, I mean, we, we, mm -hmm. all, we all know Kip Saban's never going to win the world title. Right. So uh, Kip Saban, um, I guess Chaos or whatever. Jimmy was Havoc. Jimmy Havoc. Um, Pineapple Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Orange Cassidy could fit in there too, right? Absolutely. Well, and Sammy Guevara could. Sammy'd be great. That'd be a great belt for him to if if they if there's a spot where the inner circle starts holding titles again, that'd be a, it'd be great if he had that. 
Well, and really, if you think about it, um, I mean, I know they're in the tag division, but you got some smaller guys like in Ray, with Ray Phoenix and, uh, you know, that group. I mean, I, I just think they've got so many young guys that are smaller that if they're in a, a, a matchup with a bigger guy, I mean, even a Cody, it's just kind of hard for me as a as the viewer to to believe in that. I, I think Darby Allen's done a great job in his matches with uh, with uh, Cody, but you know some of these other smaller guys. I would like to see them uh, do that light heavyweight, and maybe that's uh, you know on their radar right now. Now that they've gone with the TNT Championship, which leads us into our next match of Cody versus Lance Archer. So. Cody comes to the ring, he's with Arn Anderson, the coach, and of course Lance Archer comes to the ring with Jake the Snake Roberts. Mike Tyson was brought in to present the, the championship, the TNT championship, to the winner. So, Christian, what is your take on this matchup? Um, it was probably the most disappointing match of the night for me. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't good. Um my predictions were, I did predict Cody to win, but nothing like how he did. I predicted that Archer would dominate. I predicted that Cody would be wearing a crimson mask, which I still believe he should have been. I thought Archer and Tyson would somehow play a role in Cody getting the win, which there's absolutely no point in Tyson being out there. The fact that they didn't even have a finished belt didn't help matters. Um, the fact that Iron Anderson and Jake Roberts, that Jake jumped on the apron while his guy was in control and on the top rope, which allowed Iron, Iron to push him off. It was just, it was overbooked. It just, it wasn't good. It just, it wasn't good at all. I, I agree. I mean, on my notes, I wrote the word lame multiple times. Um, I thought they had some good high points. I mean, some good some good points there. I mean, Archer dominated most of the match, really, and had some you know, very physical moves and stuff. But I, And I hate to say this because I have so much respect for these guys in the industry, but I, I don't think Jake the Snake Roberts and Arn Anderson contributed anything. I thought, in, in, in fact, they're actually detractors from the match. And the whole point when, um, you know, the refs kicked them out and then Jake comes back and, Archer's calling him to come back when he could go for the pin on Cody made no sense. And then Mike Tyson gets over there and, um, you know, try distracts him from coming in, which it, it was just lame. It was stuff that didn't need to happen. They should focus more on the in-ring match. And I felt, I felt like the, the best um, symbol of this match is when on pay-per-view, they had a, a, a cameo or a, a camera shot of Mike Tyson. He was yawning during the match. I'm like, that perfectly describes this match. So I, I gave this match a D. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm still going to give it a C plus. I mean, I mean they, it almost, they it almost sounds like they weren't prepared. Well, uh, the way I took it is it could have been a good match. They just did a bunch of like silly stuff that they really didn't need to, in my opinion. And uh, to Christian's point, Having Mike Tyson there, it really didn't contribute anything of value to it. I mean, it's not like he back in the day when he came on and got into the fight with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, what, nothing really energetic like that. So it just didn't. It never got over it, to me, at least. 
and then on a Cody went in just with two crossroads. I mean, that's like what he typically puts uh, away somebody on dynamite with. Right. So I don't really understand. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think we all agree um, it, it was a disappointing match. I mean, I, I expected Cody to win, uh, but I just felt like it could have been it could have been a better match. I mean, it's certainly not Cody's best match that he's given in AEW. Certainly couldn't have been worse. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, to me, it was the honestly, it was the only low spot on the card for me. Well, I would say, I mean, I have one other low spot, but. Um, for the most part, I, I think this pay per view is a good one. So, right. so let me ask this: How did the champ look? How did uh, Tyson look? Well, when he ripped his shirt off, he looked to be in pretty good shape for a guy who's in his late fifties and maybe even early sixties. And I guess he's training for a fight with Evander Holyfield, but it was just he's so much smaller than the other wrestlers. Though it's right, I, I don't know. He, I thought he would look. I thought. I thought he'd be more ripped than he was. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the, when Mike Tyson came in on WWF a few years ago and had the stuff with St- Stone Cold Steve Austin and DX. That was great. And dude, that, was more was, than, that was more than a few years ago, dude. That's We're what I'm old, saying. dude. That was that was nineteen. Dude, that was nineteen ninety-seven, man. Right. Right. I understand. <laughs> I understand. But the point is, that was twenty-three just, years ago, Ben. Yeah, but. That was a great use of Tyson. This one, it, it just was kind of like, ah, he's okay. He's kind of there. I mean, it just really didn't add anything. So anyway, but um, I just wish they would have cut out, if they had cut out the stuff with, you know, all the unnecessary things with Jake the Snake and Arn, that would have helped. And I think I'd like to see Lance Archer do less of just where it's so obvious he's like jumping into a move with Cody. I mean, there were like three or four times that that happened, and I was like, you know, they should kind of have that routine down a little bit better. So that was a criticism with it being a championship match. But that being said, I do like Lance Archer. I think um, I think he's very talented, and I think he's a good heel that they need. And also, by bringing in this guy, Brian Cage, that's another good matchup between like him and Lance Archer down the road. You know, you got Brody Lee. So they're, they're really bringing in some nice, big, powerful guys into that uh, organization. So I do like that. So, all right, next matchup, uh, we have our first women's division match. We have Chris Statlander versus Penelope Ford, and Penelope is actually filling in for Dr. Britt Baker, who suffered an injury on Wednesday nights and, and, and is going to be out for a little while. So, uh, Christian, what is your take on this matchup? First, I think we have to point out how hilarious it was that they, when the, how they announced uh, Brittany's injury with when the AEW doctor said, Went through her injuries, but said, you know, the patient is is much worse than the injury. She, she's right. very high maintenance, and uh, and uh, since she's a role model, she's going to let her fans know on Dynamite when she plans on coming back. Um, I'm a huge Penelope Ford fan, so I thought for her to jump in um, last minute, um, I, I thought they had a very good to excellent match. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm on not my a notes, fan of, sorry, I'm not a big fan of the whole the alien gimmick and all that. But uh, 
I mean, she can work. Yeah. No, I agree. I, on my notes for this match, um, I gave it a B. Actually, I gave it a B plus because I felt that this match was better than what I was expecting going in. So that's why I gave it a higher grade. I thought it was very solid. I had in my notes, Penelope Ford is much improved, uh, performed very well. Statlander's tough. And I said, Statlander wins, but the AEW women's division is much improved. And Penelope Ford has good potential because with Penelope, and I think that's where you're going with your comment, Christian, she has a good look to her. And I mean, I thought she, she gave uh-huh. a good match. And, she's, and, she's, she's beautiful. She's athletic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think she could be a star. Yeah, I agree. Matter of fact, I think it, it could be one of those situations where she ends up uh, surpassing her fiance and becoming the bigger star in the family. Well, I think that's very possible because uh, I thought she did really, really well last night. So, uh, you know, Scott, Christian and I were talking um, before we got on air. One of the things that we've criticized AEW on is that their women's division was not very good. But in fairness, this match showed that their women's division is much improved, and we'll get to that in the, the second match later. So kind of comment on on that concept. I am a fan, just like uh, you guys both said, of Penelope Ford. She's got the look. I think that that is going to eventually be a storyline between her and her fiancé. I've been thinking that for a, a few weeks now, the more that they kind of throw her name in there and build her up. You know, they kind uh, of, I know you didn't see it, they kind of alluded to something last night. They said, uh, you know, this is probably Penelope's, one of her biggest matches, and... uh Kip probably didn't give a damn about it and told her to be out during the ladder match uh, to get his back and because she had taken a bump uh, and was still selling a hurt back during her match. So they kind of were setting the seeds that, you know, that he was the, the selfish one of the group. That'll be a good storyline. We've seen it before. It'll it'll happen and it'll work, work well for him, I think. Uh, Chris Statlander, I am in a hundred percent agreement with you guys on, they need to lose the alien gimmick because she's a heck of a wrestler. I like her. She's a good athlete. She can carry a match. Uh, I've been a fan of, of the wrestler and her skill since early on in, in the AEW, uh, taping, but the, the alien gimmick just gets on my nerves. It, I don't think it sells good for it, for anybody. So I, I think they need to repackage her and, and uh, let her stand out a little bit more. Yeah, agree. But um, but I was excited though that this was a, a good match because of the fact I alluded to earlier that that we were just down on the women's division, and I thought the women's division had a really good showing in this pay per view. So you know, congratulations to Chris Statlander and Penelope Ford. And I, I'm excited to see what they do with Penelope Ford. So all right, leading into the next match. Uh, I don't know if it's as much of a match as it is a segment, but it was a Sean Spears versus Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Christian, what's your take on this segment? Uh, it was, I mean, it did nothing for me. I don't even call it a match. Honestly, my, my satellite kind of was going in and out during it. And then I saw what happened later on and realized that uh, I didn't miss much. So, so Mother Nature agreed with your assessment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was a, it was a, it was a way to get Sean Spears on on the pay per view, which yeah. even though it was a terrible segment, at least he got on the pay per view. 
I think the thing is, I agree with you. I did not like this at all. And um, this is actually my most, uh, the thing I disliked the most about the pay-per-view. Because I think if the whole segment was Sean Spears was saying, hey, we're going to have a match and Dustin, he's claiming Dustin has retired and um, after his beatdown from Lance Archer and he wasn't going to come back. But I still think they could have done it where it would have been a, a match. He came prepared, Sean Spears would come out for a match and, Sure enough, Dustin doesn't show at the first point, but then he comes back. But then have it a solid match. But the way they did it, it just really made Sean Spears look stupid. And I just, to me, he he should be a better star in AEW. I thought when they signed him, he was going to be a bigger factor. And I think he's going to, right now, he's just in the mid card. And I think there are a lot of guys like a Darby Allen out there who are really overshadowing Sean Spears and he's going to end up in the same position that he was in in WWE where he's this mid to low card guy that's not really maximizing his talent that's what I'm seeing right now Scott do you have any thoughts on this well I have to admit I am disappointed in uh, Sean Spears because when they first started bringing him out with Tully I thought this was going to be like a big deal I thought you know because Tully is wrestling royalty to a lot of us old NWA and older WCW uh, wrestling fans. I just really thought it was going to be, you know, they were going to push this kid. And even on like Dynamite and things like that, it's it's it seems like he's been losing steam and they haven't really paired him up with anybody and they were searching for a tag team partner and things like that. But it's like nothing that they've done has worked out or they've just kind of gave up without like really putting some effort into him. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's a good wrestler. I think he's got a good look. I, I feel like they could make him a success, but it's like somebody in the back is it to me. It looks like somebody in the back doesn't want him to be. I don't. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. Well, my notes on this first off, and I thought Dustin gave a good performance. I mean, Dustin Rhodes has showed repeatedly on AEW uh, that he he still has it. I mean, he goes in and he gives good matches. Um, so Dustin Rhodes is still a very viable option for them and I think this match should have been better with these two guys but my notes were my first comment was this match should be at a county fair or in a high school gym and my second comment was Sean Spears has jumped the shark so see I think it's I disagree I think it's going to set it up for a real match probably this Wednesday well I think so where I think Spears will go over well he can only go up after this match but We'll see. All right, so moving on to a from a disappointment to what I consider, I thought this was a pretty good match, um, women's title match of Nyla Rose versus Takari Shida. Uh, Nyla Rose came in, came in as the champion, and Takari Shida came in as the challenger. So, Christian, what's your take on uh, this matchup? Surprisingly, I loved it. Um, I agree. I, normally, honestly, during AEW women's matches, that's usually when I – take a restroom break, go see what snacks I have. Um, but they, they had me glued and it was, I think it was a minus. I mean, a, I don't know if the match could have been any better. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, and honestly coming into it, I had the exact same mentality that you had. I was going to be like, well, you know, is, what's going to happen here, but I was kind of encouraged coming off of the Penelope Ford match, but 
these two ladies, they really delivered. It was hard hitting, physical. I mean, they were hitting each other with kendo sticks and they were, you know, doing high spots outside the ring. Um, I mean, Takara Shida ends up going over here and, and beating Nyla Rose. She is the new AEW women's champion. But my notes were it was very physical and it was I said it was the best AEW women's match I've seen. And I, my second comment was AEW's women's division is is much improved. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, hopefully uh, Dr. Brittany won't be out too long. But I've got a feeling that even if she is, they're still going to be able to use her um, and let her do promos and, and keep her relevant even while she's out. Oh, I think so. Well, that point when they had the doctor talking about Britt Baker being a difficult patient, I mean, it's, it's something where they can do interviews there and keep her relevant and as a complainer and a whiner. They just need to keep giving her segments with Skiavone. That, that'll that'll keep her relevant. That's hilarious, I think. Oh, it's to me, it's one of the best. I, I think at some point, Shivani's going to turn heel and help, and he's going to be the reason she wins the title. I have that feeling too. I, I've been thinking that. <laughs> that there's just so, there's too good of chemistry there for them to not let that be a story. Mm. So, but anyway, um, you know, congratulations to Takari Shida. It was a really good match. Uh, and the other thing with her being champion, she, I mean, she's more the size of the other women they have in the division. So they should really be able to do some pretty cool stuff in the ring. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what they have in store. So the next match on the card is one of the two main events. We have the AEW title match of the champion John Moxley versus Brody Lee. And for some of our listeners who may not know who Brody Lee is, it's a former Luke Harper in the WWE. If you, so, if you, if you don't know that, you don't need to be listening to our podcast. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> All right, so Christian, what's your take on this matchup? I had low expectations, and I think, they blew it out of the water. And I think even the final spot, the DDT through the stage, I think even after that, they told a great story when Harper kicked out after a one count when he got him back into the ring. He was a bloody mess. Um, took a couple different... Uh, Paradigm shifts, but he couldn't pin him. And then I like how they're kind of, I like how they're doing with uh, Moxley that his paradigm shift, when he's fighting bigger, stronger guys, it's it's a finisher that's not going to put people away. So he's having to go to other moves, which I like. Um, you know, so he had to go to the, whatever, the chokehold sleeper, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I thought it was a great brawl. Um, I thought Harper still looked pretty strong. I thought it was one of Moxley's best matches probably since he won the title. Um, I know he's only had a few, but the swagger win was average. The Kazarian one was terrible. Kazarian had to carry him. Um, I, I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought uh, Brody—they really let Brody Lee uh, show 
what he could do. I agree. Um, I even had my notes on this match. I felt Brody Lee was really carrying the match uh, for really at least two-thirds of it. I mean, I thought he looked good. He had a couple of uh, – uh, he dove through the ring once. I mean, and he's 280 pounds and some really good uh, – Good high points with him, and I, I thought Moxley looked great. I thought I thought Brody Lee looked better, but you know, hopefully with this with this match going so well, it sets up a rematch. And because um, I, I really thought they put on a, a really good show, and uh, I was glad to see Moxley rebound from some subpar matches that we've seen on Dynamite lately. So, uh, hey Scott, what's your take on a uh, on Brody Lee coming over? Uh, from WWE and making an impact in AEW. Well, I love the fact that he defected and came over. I wasn't sold on him being the leader of the Dark Order at first. I wanted them to kind of go a different direction with him. Because to me, Brody Lee is the epitome of, of a new age uh, Cactus Jack style character. And he's got the athleticism to really back that up and do crazy stuff for a big guy. And I was hoping they would kind of go that route with him. I think he's doing okay. I was, you know, I'm looking forward to actually seeing this match because I am a Moxley fan as well. And I think that, you know, really they've kind of let him die down a little bit. So uh, sounds like that they, you know, he stepped it back up a little bit according to you two guys. So I do want to see that. But I, I'm a Brody Lee fan. I was a fan of his when he was with the family over in WWE. Uh, I think that the WWE kind of wasted him and they could have done better with him. So I think that uh, the future is bright for him over here. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they do with him. Well, they did. Uh, Jim Ross did make a reference to, no, I'm, I'm t- uh, Tony Schiavone did uh, a reference to a comparison to uh, Bruiser Brody last night. And even in the match when, um, cause they made the reference when he did a big, um, a big boot, which is like what Bruiser Brody would do. Right. But yet, Christian, you know, when um, when Moxley did the, the paradigm shift on Brody Lee and they went through the floor and then Brody came up and he was bleeding and stuff, I mean, I just automatically thought Bruiser Brody because that's something that Bruiser Brody would have done with, you know, with the bleeding and stuff. And so it, it just really reminded me of that. So I thought it was kind of a Bruiser Brody kind of style match. But uh, but I was pleased with it. And um you know, I'd like to see them have a, at least one rematch out of this because I think they can have a, a good segment going forward. All right, and last and certainly not least, we have the final match between the inner circle of La Champion Chris Jericho versus the Elite and Matt Hardy. So this was a very unique match. It was the stadium stampede match that was out in the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium. And... Uh, you know, so you had Chris Jericho, you had uh, Santana Ortiz, Sammy Guevara, and um, Jake Hager representing the Inner Circle. And for the Elites, you had Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, um, Hangman Adam Page, and then, of course, Matt Hardy. So, Christian, what was your take on this match? I think that they have set the stage for big matches during the coronavirus era. Um I thought that going into it, I had no idea. I thought it might be terrible. I, I'm, I mean, I've I, I really enjoyed it. I thought they, uh, I mean, we could go segment by segment. There's so many different good ones. Um, 
but overall, I loved it. I'd give it a B plus, uh, A minus. Um, yeah, there was some joke spots and some hokiness, but I mean, I think that's okay in that type of match when you've got ten guys in a football stadium. And I was okay with the with some of the joke stuff that they did. Yeah, I thought I, I'm. I thought overall it was a good, solid match. I mean, I, I agree with your B plus A minus grade. Um, I thought it started off kind of weird, like a, it was almost like you know the Warriors running against uh, to each other and then battled and stuff. But my notes on this is I thought Santana and Ortiz were fantastic, um, and I thought um, when Hangman Adam Page came in and was chasing Sammy Guevara with a horse at the beginning. At first, I didn't like it, but then the more I thought about it, I kind of did like it. And I thought when they had the bar fight with Hangman Adam Page and Jake Hager, that was fantastic. That was really well done. That's and then great. even when Kenny Omega joined, I, I really enjoyed the bar the bar fight scene. Me too. I thought it was great. And uh, you know, I thought Matt Hardy was had some kind of funny things in there. I mean, he, he was okay. I, I just really thought Santino and Ortiz were really, really good. Yeah, and. Well- the whole Duncan and the water and the changing of uh, the whole Matt Hardy changing characters. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of getting old to me, I guess, because I've seen it so much. Well, I thought that was bizarre, but I thought it was funny, like when he was sending them back into the freezer. But, but I, I did think, though, that bar fight scene, that was by far and away the best part. Um, I thought Jericho had some good segments in there. I thought it was funny when they started to bring in – because this was a comedy match. I mean, this this was clearly a comedy match. But um, I thought he had some good segments in there where they were bringing in the football component into wrestling. And, you know, he got a two-and-a-half count on um, – I think it was Matt Jackson, and he was arguing with Aubrey Edwards, the ref, and he wanted to challenge. And he threw out a red flag like the NFL would to, to challenge it. And then they went under the booth for instant replay. And so that kind of stuff was kind of funny. But um, I thought Kenny Omega had some really – I mean, those final moves he had, I mean, that was some top-notch stuff. So I I thought he gave a a really good performance. Hey, I don't care if that was a crash pad or not. That was a good 20 to 25 feet that – Absolutely. uh, That was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I gave I thought it was really good, um, you know, because when you've got a match going on in that big of a space, there's just so many opportunities for things to go wrong. And I thought overall that the guys did a good job, and it was it was a good way to end the the match. Uh, the um, the elite ended up winning on Kenny Omega hitting his final move. It's like a almost like a pile driver, but he literally like jumped off at, at, uh, from one of the seats into like. I guess is one of the entry features where the players come out and there was padding and stuff there, but still it was a, like a 20 foot jump. So it was impressive. He ended up pinning Sammy Guevara for the win. The elite uh, celebrated, but I, I thought overall it was really good. And I thought overall for the pay-per-view, it was a good pay-per-view because, and Christian, I think the point you made earlier about the fact of them having at least some people in the audience with other wrestlers, or they had like Vicky Guerrero come in and, or, you know, different staff members. It, it made such a difference. It made the difference in the in the match or in the pay per view, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it. I think it completely changes. Um, I, I just think it just shows that they get it and that Vince McMahon doesn't. 
Yeah. I definitely want to echo that for the weekly shows. Uh, when Christian was making that point earlier, I, I agree a thousand percent that even just the 20 people or so that they have in the crowd makes all the difference. It's almost like a, a regular show versus when you watch the, the uh, competition, man, it's like a, a graveyard in there or something. I mean, it's, it's just terrible when, when you try to watch it and there is zero people in there. Mm. So overall, um, you know, congrats to AEW, congrats to all the wrestlers out there too. I thought, um, you know, they, to, for them to still perform and with all the stuff going on with the coronavirus and things like that, I think, you know, everyone should be commended on their side because they've, they've done a real good job on trying to, you know, follow the mantra of the show must go on. So, you know, congrats to AEW. We'll see how this, uh, this story continues on Wednesday night. So now transitioning from AEW, we are going to the competition in WWE and we're going to give a, a little recap here on what happened on WWE Money in the Bank because we did talk about that on our last match or our last podcast. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about two mat or four matches on this. We're going to talk about the women's ladder match and the men's ladder match. And then we're going to talk about the championship matches with Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins for the, uh, the Universal title and Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt for the, um, the WWE championship. So I'm going to start first with the women's ladder match. And in that match, it was occurring simultaneously with the men's ladder match. And um, we're just going to talk about the women right now. So you had Asuka, you had Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Carmella, and Dana Brooke. And going into our initial analysis, we were kind of thinking that probably Shayna Baszler was going to go over here. We kind of anticipated something happening with her winning and ultimately going on to battle uh, Becky Lynch. But I remember it was me, it was me, or I think, I think it was me or maybe Christian as well. But I was like, you know, I would love to see Oscar win or somebody other than Shayna Baszler. Cause I just, I'm not over on Shayna Baszler yet. So anyway, my opinion on this match, I thought overall it was, it was pretty good. I mean, for doing it in the, the corporate office complex, I thought they had some good segments in it. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that they were doing it at the same time with the men because they did have some interactions with the guys. Um, Oscar ends up winning this thing, but I think overall, I mean, I thought Nia Jax came across pretty good. Shayna Baszler was just kind of okay. Nothing too, um, you know, exciting from Dana Brooke and Carmella. I did think it was kind of funny when Carmella, I'm sorry, Dana Brooke got the money in the bank, um, ornament in the office and she thought she won. But uh, then Stephanie McMahon came in and said, Dana, what are you doing? This is just an office development. The, 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 the money in the bank's on the roof. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But um, anyway, Oscar ends up winning this match. And overall, I was really excited because I just did not want Shayna Baszler to win this, this match. So, um, Christian, what was your take on this match? I mean, I don't know. I mean... It was kind of terrible. I mean, uh, the whole pay-per-view was pretty terrible to me. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i glad Shayna didn't win. I mean, if that counts for something. I mean, I don't understand that. I just... Uh, so, so many illogical things happened on the show that I, I, can't, even, I can't even get into it. All right, well, Scott, what's your take on this match? 
I agree with Christian on the the match itself, but I'm a huge Oscar fan, so I'm glad that they're pushing her. I I've been a fan of hers from the beginning of uh like when she hit NXT and and that uh the match could have been done better for sure, but uh the result was what I wanted. I wanted to see Oscar win and I'm with you guys on the same page there on uh, uh Baszler. She still needs some development. I like her as an athlete, and I think she's tough, and she's a good heel character, but they need to work on her before they they push her any higher. So that gives Asuka the money in the bank, Miss Money in the Bank, and she rolled on over on Monday night and was greeted by Becky Lynch. And, of course, for those who don't know, which if you're a wrestling fan, I don't know how you don't know this, but Becky Lynch announced that she is stepping away to be a mom, and Asuka, by winning the Money in the Bank, actually became the the women Raw Women's Champion. Yep. So, Scott, what's your take on this with I, Becky stepping away and Asuka taking over as the champion? Well, if our fans have listened to any of our previous podcasts, they know that I like Becky Lynch, but I'm tired of Becky Lynch. This is the perfect segue for her to disappear for a while and then make a dynamite comeback, which we know that that more than likely will happen eventually. Uh, I thought that WWE got it right with the way that they had Becky hand her uh, or have, have Asuka open the case, and it actually had the belt in it. I thought that was pretty cool, uh, and I thought that was a good way to do it, and I thought since Asuka won, she deserved the belt. So I, I think that was... To me, that was a creative way, and I liked it. And it, we also get what, or I get what I want, and Becky disappears for a while because, you know, I am tired of hearing about Becky Lynch and seeing Becky Lynch. It's time to for us to move on with something else. Yeah. Christian, what's your take on that? I mean, we were all sick of her, and she wants to, she wants to start a family, and She's in love, and she's 33, and she doesn't want to risk. Uh, obviously, the older you get, the higher the risk is in a pregnancy, so good for her. Yep. So, Scott, what you know, if we kind of knew, let's say we knew that Becky Lynch was stepping away before the Money in the Bank match, would you have booked this, uh, the, would you have booked this different? Like, I mean, would you have gone with let's say Nia Jax as a champion or would you even put Baszler all over or, or somebody else or do you think Oscar was the right pick if you had known Becky Lynch was going to be stepping away I still like Oscar I'm a I'm a huge Oscar fan as I said I do think Nia Jax has it coming I want to see her wear gold again but Oscar is the right person for now I think I agree um at least my take on it is Oscar in her tag matches where when she was with the Kabuki Warriors, I just really liked her character a whole lot better. I mean, I didn't realize how vocal she was in the ring, and she was actually pretty funny, and then she's always been very technically sound. And it's very interesting when you listen to some of the other women wrestlers in their shoot interviews, when they ask, like they've asked Mandy Rose and they've asked some of these other women wrestlers, who would you like to have a match with? They're saying Asuka. So Asuka's like really well-respected uh, in the locker room. And I think her versatility allows for some really cool matches with people like she could match up well with Shayna Baszler. She can go with a Lacey Evans, a Carmella, a Dana Brooke. I mean, she's just very, very versatile. So, uh, and also our, our friend, um, Bianca Belair, 
you know, I mean, maybe you've got a Bianca Belair uh, Oscar matchup coming here too. So I just think that was the right move. So, all right, so congrats to Oscar, And we're now going to switch over to the men's ladder match where we have AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, Baron Corbin, Aleister Black, Rey Mysterio, and last and certainly not least, Otis. And overall, I've got to say this is an A match just because Otis won. Oh, my God. um, (laughs) But um, in fairness, I I mean, I thought they had some good segments here. Um, I thought Otis was pretty funny when he was at his – Segments with Nia Jax, and uh, but I thought uh, there were some good battles. It it would have been better if it wasn't in the office building, like what you guys said with the women's ladder match. But I thought the segments with uh, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan were were good. I thought Corbin um, did good. I mean, Christian, you were right on the money when you said that uh, Elias was going to come in and quack uh, Corbin over the back. And uh, ultimately, the Money in the Bank. Briefcase just landed in Otis's hands after AJ Styles fumbled it. But um, but I know going into the match, we were kind of expecting AJ Styles to come out as the winner. So, uh, Christian, what was your take on the, the result of this match? I mean, now that I see that they're trying to elevate the Intercontinental title, I'm more okay with it because... Daniel Bryan and AJ feuding over the Intercontinental title is going to be is going to put it back on the map. I agree. So, but initially, I, I didn't really. I mean, Otis is not going to win the World Champion or the Universal Championship in the next six or seven months. Something's going to happen where. He gets tricked into putting the contract up to defend Mandy's honor against a heel. Mandy's going to turn on him. She was in cahoots with the heel the whole time, and the heel's going to end up getting the briefcase. I mean, I, I, I can see that coming in my sleep. So, Scott, what was your take on this match? I love the match uh, as far as like AJ and uh, Daniel Bryan ending up in McMahon's office. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the match overall was was not great. Like we said, I, I wish it would not have been in the office building, but there were segments that were, were great. Uh, the fact that Otis won was a surprise to me, so I, I like to be surprised and I hate to be able to predict a whole show, which normally I can. I was not expecting Otis to win. I'll be completely honest. So I like that. And I think Christian is right on the money with Mandy's going to double cross him somehow or another. She's going to end up uh, in cahoots with the heel or somehow she ends up with the money in the bank opportunity herself out of it. And she can go for a championship. So I I agree. I don't know how exactly they're going to spin it, but it is going to get spun that way. And uh, it'll be entertaining. I hate to see Otis get done that way, but we all see it coming. Well, we'll see. Let's Actually, this is a good point to transition just to kind of go with where Otis's direction is. Well, before we get there, though, I did have a couple of notes on this I wanted to mention. Um, I mean, I really thought AJ Styles was going to win, but to, I guess, piggyback on Christian's point, 
this match really set up two things uh, besides Otis being money in the bank. It, it was the basis for AJ Styles going to SmackDown, and he made his SmackDown uh, uh, debut on Friday where he had a, a really good match, I thought, with uh, Nakamura, and he beat Nakamura. And so he's going to be facing um, Elias in the semifinals, and presumably he would beat Elias. And then you got Daniel Bryan versus Jeff Hardy in the other side of the Intercontinental title bracket. And I, I agree with you, Christian, that I, I think it's going to be AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan for that Intercontinental title. And I, I just think that's a that's a win for both of those guys and the fans. That's a re- really good matchup that I'm looking forward to seeing. But the other thing I think it's set up, too, is um, I think Baron Corbin, he made his, uh, an appearance on Raw. And since AJ's coming over to SmackDown, maybe uh, it looks it looks like Corbin could go over to uh, to Raw. And I think that'd be good for Corbin because I think with Drew McIntyre over there and you got Bobby Lashley, there are some bigger heels and just bigger wrestlers for him to go against. And I, I think that would be good for Baron Corbin. So... Actually leads into our next match of uh, talking about the direction for uh, Corbin, Drew McIntyre versus Seth Rollins. So, Christian, what was your take on this? I got to be honest, I don't even remember. Man, I know Drew won. I don't remember the match. Yeah. Well, I think overall, I mean, my notes from it. I, I thought it was a good match, and Drew ends up winning clean over Seth. And I thought that was a good decision for the, the following reasons. First off, Drew McIntyre still a, a young champion, and I didn't think they were going to take the belt off of him, uh, which we all agreed. We didn't think that Drew was going to lose the title on his first defense, especially with him not getting a, a fan pop when he won at WrestleMania. But he did win clean, which I think was surprising to, to some people. But... I, I like the fact that he won clean because it shows Drew is a stronger champion, and I think they have long-term plans for him to be the champion. And also on Monday night, it set up a good rivalry with uh, with him and Bobby Lashley, and I like that because I just felt that Bobby Lashley has been so underutilized lately that a matchup with him, Bobby Lashley, and um, is is just a good thing. So that's why why I liked it. So Scott, what was your take on this match? So the match was pretty good. I, I'm a huge Drew McIntyre fan. I think it's it's you know beyond time for him to get pushed. I thought he honed his skills over in TNA and and really become a monster that that he is. And I think that Seth Rollins, you know, he's been at the top of the mountain uh, back and forth for a long time. I you know I kind of predicted that Drew wouldn't lose. Uh, Seth's been pushed enough. We need to kind of get somebody else in there now. And I think Drew's the right guy at the right time. And I agree that it's awesome that uh, they are finally putting Lashley against somebody like a Drew McIntyre because Lashley has been underutilized terribly. And, you know, that's kind of a segue into we haven't talked about it yet, but Lashley's match in this pay-per-view was a joke. I mean, I don't even know why it didn't it didn't have any meaning to me at all. And you know, the fact that our truth came out acting like, uh, he did, I, I hate to get ahead of the game. Cause I know we're talking about drew and Seth, but we're kind of segueing between the, the two. Mm-hmm. I just felt like Lashley's match was a waste of, of time in, in the pay-per-view, but I was glad to see them redeem themselves and have Lashley challenging drew the very next night. So that kind of takes a crappy match and puts Lashley right back into the limelight, which is where, he should have been anyway, but he, 
they should have had him booked in a better match for the pay-per-view. I mean, it's it was kind of ridiculous, my opinion only. Well, I think, though, with Drew, um, I, I like the fact that he had that matchup with Corbin. I mean, because one of the things we talked about on our last podcast is we were kind of concerned, hey, what's the direction for Corbin here? Because with Roman Reigns being out, I mean, who was a, a face big guy for him to go against? And we didn't think he would match up with Otis. It really didn't make sense. So unless you keep him battling Elias, which has been going on for a while, um, you know, what's the direction for Corbin? And I like Corbin going over to Raw and being able to battle with uh, with Drew. I th- I just think that's that's good. Yeah, I agree. And I guess to talk about Seth Rollins a bit here, you know, it looks like he's going to go in. I mean, he was mesmerized and then he snapped and, you know, had this battle with Rey Mysterio. But it was also an opportunity for them to get into battle with Aleister Black, which I thought was good because Aleister was kind of just dangling out there, I felt. Right. And so I, I like the idea of Aleister Black versus Seth Rollins and more of these matches with Buddy Murphy. And they've added Austin Theory now. So I think that could be a, a good thing for all those guys involved. What's your take on that, Scott? Yeah, I agree. I think those will, will all be good athletic matches. They'll tell good stories in the ring. Uh, it'll keep Seth kind of out of the title picture, which they need to do. They need to give us a breather from him. He almost falls into the same category as his fiance on that. Uh, it's time for to let a couple other people shine for a little while. And meanwhile, you can still draw money with some of these other new talents. Right. All right. And the final match we're going to talk about on WWE Money in the Bank is Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. So Braun Strowman actually goes over in this match with a, a clean win over Bray Wyatt to retain his championship. So, Christian, what was your take on this matchup? Well, it was pretty terrible, I'd have to say. I agree 100%. So, well, I will say this, though. At first, when when it happened, and then they brought Otis back, this brings us back to our discussion on Otis's direction. You know, Otis comes out, Mr. Money in the Bank, and then he tags with Braun Strowman, and the idea is, you know, Braun was worried, uh, fearful, I guess, or concerned maybe that Otis was going to use this as an opportunity to cash in, but he's still tagged in with um, Otis, and they had the matchup with um, um, The Miz and John Morrison. And, of course, Braun comes in and dominates Miz and Morrison and gets the win, and Otis looked like he was going to maybe do something, but then he didn't. And now they've switched back to, I guess, eventually there's going to be another feud with Bray Wyatt. So, and then it goes back to Otis, you know, are they just going to keep waiting and waiting and waiting? And and you guys had a good theory as to what might happen. But one theory I thought could happen is I still think at some point Bray Wyatt's going to come back and win the championship over Braun Strowman. I just think that Bray character is too hot. And so I think this is going to bring back the Fiend and maybe he gets it back at SummerSlam or, or, or not too much longer down the road. But maybe Bray is going to be the guy, he's a transition champion, where Otis does cash in the money in the bank and actually does become champion. But there's a feud where like Bray like possesses Mandy Rose or some kind of spell. But in some way, somehow, Mandy Rose gets affiliated with Bray Wyatt. That was sort of a theory I had. So any thoughts on that? Sounds pretty terrible. <laughs> terrible. I- Why do you say that? Scott, <laughs> I, I think it could be entertaining. I, I think that they may do something like that, but I feel like Mandy's going to double cross Otis 
in a different way. I just I, I had that gut I feeling. Ben's just in denial. <laughs> Ben's in <laughs> major denial. Well, the thing with Mandy Rose is all right on your theory about she double crosses and how she gets how does she get the money in the bank when she's I mean that's the men's woman that uh, was Scott's number one Scott said that terrible comment not me you can throw that on me that's fine but somehow or another she's going to be in cahoots with a a heel and sometimes somehow or another she's going to get a push out of it she's going to have something to gain she's going to help elevate an upper mid Carter to win the Universal Championship. And she's going to be the valet of the cha- and the girlfriend of the champion. And hopefully, then, hopefully and it no, won't and be. Uh, and, and I'll lay two to one odds and book any bet on that right now. I mean, do you think it, they pushed off Ziggler again? I hope it won't be him no, again. No. So, all right. Well, one, we'll see what happens with Otis on this. And one thing I do miss seeing is, I mean, Tucker has not been on. TV in several months, so I don't know if they're going to build up a feud where like Tucker is jealous, and so they're going to break up, um, you know, Tucker and uh, Otis, and maybe build that into a feud. Because I'm like, right now, I just don't really know where Otis is going, other than these matches with Dolph Ziggler. And frankly, after if they have a couple of more of the matches, it's going to be kind of the same thing, and people are going to get bored. What's Mandy? So, what's Mandy's old teammate's name? What's her? Sonya Deville. I can picture Tucker and Sonya Deville working together to break Mandy and Otis up. I, I can see that happening. Yeah. I will say this for Sonya Deville. Her promos lately have been fantastic. I mean, that's she's really done well with this this battle, I think. I mean, I think it's the best work she's done since I, I've seen her in WWE. I agree. Her promos have, have definitely stepped up. She's just been destroying Mandy, hasn't she? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, even on the match on Friday night, I mean – you know, Mandy comes out and she's lost two straight matches and, you know, Sonya beat her up pretty good the, the before. So they're really putting Sonya over right now. So, all right, which, we'll see which, what is, which is why Mandy has to turn heel. This is what they always do. A baby right. face is losing, so they change it up. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, we'll see what happens. But overall, so... Overall, Christian, money in the bank, you give it a, a thumbs down, right? I mean, I think the, the final match was decent. I mean, I'd give it a C. What's your, what's your rating on this, Scott? At best, C plus, at best. So you definitely think AEW was better than money in the bank? By far. Got it. All right, well, we'll keep monitoring and see what happens with these. I mean, to be honest iterations. with you, I think 80% of AEW Dynamites are better than Money in the Bank. I was going to follow up with that exact comment. From the from the week-to-week TV tapings or TV showings, AEW's dogging WWE, in, in my opinion. Now, is it just because of Pineapple Pete? or <laughs> what? I hate that guy. Yeah. I mean, well, God, I mean, any show with Jericho on commentary crushes any WWE <laughs> review. I have to agree. <laughs> he is money on on the mic. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. And him and Shivani together. Have you ever are been hilarious. to the, Have you ever been to so and so Japan? No, I have. It's a dump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you guys, just to be honest, when I was listening to AEW, or I mean, watching the shows. I really like the team of Tony Schiavone and Jericho. Agreed. Better. I mean, 
I, I w- they should really be their main commentators. I mean, I know they can't for for Jericho, but I mean, he's just really, really great. I mean, he's funny. He's witty. He's gold for sure. Oh, it's great. So, all right. Well, those are our opinions on the latest pay-per-views of AEW and WWE. So we will be back in a few weeks to give our thoughts as these organizations continue down the line. So now we're transitioning from the way wrestling is to the way wrestling should be and our fantasy booking. So for those who did not listen to our last podcast, shame on you. But for those who didn't, I'm going to give a brief recap of what we are working on here. We have our fantasy wrestling booking and fantasy wrestling draft where Scott Christian and I had a 50-round draft where we drafted um, single wrestlers and tag teams. We also had a few rounds where we picked our jobbers and our announcers for the promotion. So since that time, we've created our promotion names, we've done our fake TV contracts, and we've actually written two weeks' worth of shows uh, which is, like I mentioned earlier, it's been quite a bit of work, but very creative and very entertaining to read. So we're going to start off with my promotion. Well, actually, before we start, I'm going to do a recap of who is on everybody's roster. So Scott drafted first. He has Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Andre the Giant, the Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, Sting, Magnum TA, Rick Rude with Bobby Heenan, Doom, the tag team with Ron Simmons and Butch Reed as a wild card so they could be used as singles. Um, Triple H, Nikita and Ivan Koloff, uh, Dave Bautista, Harlem Heat, Kurt Angle, Bruiser Brody, Eddie Guerrero, Demolition, Strike Force with uh, Rick Martel and Tito Santana, China, the Dream Team with Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, Bill Goldberg, uh, Big Van Vader, Jake the Snake Roberts, Lita, Diamond Dallas Page with Kimberly, Stan Hansen, the Big Boss Man and One Man Gang, um, Mickey James, Asuka, Rhea Ripley, The Great Muda, The Dudley Boys, <clears throat> uh, Raven, The Big Show, The Hardy Boys, Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, Gail Kim, Miss Jackie, um, Medusa Maselli, AJ Lee, Na- The Nasty Boys, Public Enemy, um, Abdul the Butcher with Gary Hart, The Iron Sheik, Joe LaDuke, The Sheep Herders, Sabu, Superstar Billy Graham, the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart, Sensational Sherry, and the Wild Samoans. And his jobbers were Iron Mike Sharp and the Duke of Dorchester, right? That's right. Pete Doherty. Yep. And, and, then, and then the uh, announcing crew, the legendary duo of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And for his second show, he has Lance Russell and Dave Brown. So next we go to Christian's group and he starts off with nature boy rick flair and stone cold steve austin hall and nash sean michaels kane and undertaker uh cm punk brett the hitman hart owen hart and the british bulldog as a tag team edge and christian as a tag team uh failed to mention earlier hall and nash are a tag team and kane and undertaker uh, is a tag team but all those teams i mentioned are wild cards so they can be used individually as well uh, has Randy Orton, uh, Chris Benoit, and Dean Malenko as a tag team. It's part of the Horsemen. Rob Van Dam, Jerry the King Lawler, Miz and John Morrison, uh, Taz, the franchise Shane Douglas, Ted DiBiase, X-Pac, Brian Pillman, Cody Rhodes with Brandy, 
John Cena, Roman Reigns, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, Jeff Jarrett, Dustin Rhodes, uh, The Faces of Fear, Barbarian and Ming, JBL, Kenny Omega, Samoa Joe, The Young Bucks, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, Just Incredible, uh, and Lance Storm, The Impact Players, Hangman Adam Page, um, Taka. I, I say this name wrong, this this light heavyweight guy. Taka Michinoku, is that right? That's right. That's right. All right. The Eliminators. Uh, Yokozuna, Al Snow, and uh, Steve. Uh, uh, what's Steve that guy Black. Black. Head cheese. I couldn't read my. Couldn't read my own writing. Head uh, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Chris uh, Candido is Sunny. Tommy Dreamer. The BWO Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards. Flying Brian Lee. Steve Carino. Wade Barrett. Deuce and Domino with Cherry. The Sandman and Shane McMahon. I forgot who your jobbers were, Christian, but I know um, your announcing crew is the ultra-talented Jerry the King Lawler, along with JR, and you've got Joey Styles and um, Gordon Soley as your announcers. So, pretty stacked federation there. And last and certainly not least is my federation. i got Chris Jericho, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes, Tully and Arn as a tag team as a wild card. Ricky, the Dragon, Steamboat, AJ Styles, Fabulous Freebirds, and uh, the Von Ericks, both as wild cards. Uh, the Midnight Express, uh, Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan Lane with Jim Cornette. Rock and Roll Express, uh, the Road Warriors, the Steiners, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, Kevin Owens, Mankind, Charlotte Flair, Gino Hernandez, and Chris Adams as a tag team. And also a wild card, Trish Stratus, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, uh, The New Day with Kofi Kingston and Big E, uh, The Bella Twins, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, Brock Lesnar, Wendy Richter, uh, uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, Seamus and Cesaro as tag team, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Terry Funk, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Bruno Sammartino, Junkyard Dog, Keith Lee, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Sid Vicious, Gorgeous gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Precious, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt, Buzz Sawyer, The Fantastics, Nikolai Volkov, Ray Mysterio, Ricochet, Otis, and Mandy Rose. And my jobbers were the Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma as a tag team, uh, the Brooklyn Brawler and Barry Horowitz, and also Hillbilly Jim from Mudlick, Kentucky. And my announcers are Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. And my backup announcing team is Maru uh, Romello and the team from NXT Wednesday Nights, which is uh, Nigel and also Beth Phoenix. So that was a mouthful. So before we get into this week's happenings and last week's happenings, Christian, tell us about your organization. Well, first thing to ask you, did, who's, this, who's this girl you're obsessed with? Did you know her from like college or something that you somehow put her into your... Some local reporter is in your main event uh, picture. Well, that, was just, that was just a funny segment with uh, Amy Watson, the reporter, because I, I did an episode from Murray, and she's also from Murray. So it was just kind of a funny thing to, to put in. And now she's a, a reporter in Nashville. So since my last two shows were in Murray and Nashville, that's why we put her in. And now she's the main eventer on your federation. Well, she, she's just a, a, a valet. The Scots supported that pick. I support her because she's hot. And I, I crushed on her when she was on WPSD out of Paducah. And then 
fortunately, to my surprise, when I moved to Nashville or outside of Nashville, she is one of the main reporters on one of the main channels here. So okay. I still got to see her. I just needed some backstory. <laughs> and oddly enough, she actually married a guy from my hometown. So pretty crazy. Small world. Well, she's, I mean, she's definitely, uh, like I said, main eventing uh, <laughs> promotion. So, all right. So, uh, right. Christian, tell us about uh, your federation. All right. Well, so it's funny because I don't know if you have all experienced this or not, but it's kind of, you might have seen it going one way, but then after the draft, and even now, I see it going different ways based on wrestlers that I picked up at the time and didn't realize how I was going to use them. Um, I guess an example of that is I, I knew, I knew in my head that I was picking ECW guys and I knew I was picking Lawler, but I didn't know that that was going to become one of my big storylines right now is um, Lawler, Jarrett, Samoa Joe, and last night on Shotgun, uh, RVD turned on his former ECW mates and joined the Lawler faction. So I didn't, I wouldn't have seen that coming like when I was drafting. Um, you know, obviously trying to set up uh, I went a different route than you all and I do not have a woman's division so my first pay-per-view is a month away there's qualifying matches for a 20-man Royal Rumble to crown the first ever MCW Miscaibe Championship Wrestling uh, World Heavyweight Champion um, there's a tag tournament and there's been a cruiserweight tournament and as of right now, those are going to be the three uh, titles that I'm going to focus on. And right now, everything's leading up to the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And then kind of when I was writing a show the other day, I, really, I, it's, I don't know what the odds of this happening are, but I just happened to notice that I had... I'd left the Young Bucks out of my tag team tournament. I totally had forgotten that I drafted them. Um, and then noticed that I had Omega, Cody, and Hangman. So noticed that I basically had the Elite. Didn't notice it during the draft. But, you know, so they end up coming together to form a faction. I, I've always been... I don't know. And maybe you all will say I'm, I'm having too many factions going on right now, but I've always, I've always been a huge fan of factions. And right now I've got my big ones are the Horsemen, um, the Heart Foundation, kind of, the ECW, some of their guys, an anti-ECW Lawler group. <laughs> um, and the Elite... Um, so I don't know. I mean, man, you know, and Ben, you said it best, man. Like, I mean, it took me like an hour and a half to, to put together something, uh, you know, from yesterday for, for shotgun Saturday night. 
And then I even have kind of, I don't know if y'all read my stuff or not, but I even went back mm-hmm. real old school to when uh, I, I acknowledged, I had Joey Styles. Joey Styles does my Saturday night shows by himself. I'm not sure how I'm going to work Gordon Soli in yet. And my Saturday night shows is kind of more of my extreme show. And he pointed out that, you know, to all of you all that don't know, Jerry Lawler lives in Memphis, wrestles for an indie organization down there, blah, blah, blah. Tommy Dreamer went down there after what Lawler did. And I still found the footage on YouTube that I remembered when Dreamer showed up in the studio and destroyed it. And uh, so I've kind of been finding clips from YouTube to play into some of my storylines that I'm doing. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's a process because I think things are going to go one way. And then like when I was drafted, I I didn't think JBL would end up, I've always been a JBL fan. And now JBL is aligned with Austin tent kind of. So, you know, it's kind of cool just kind of seeing, you know, you have stuff, some stuff planned, but then, you know, there's twists and turns and the way you introduce new guys. And I don't know. I, it's, I just think it's been fun. It's been cool. I wanna, I'll take any constructive criticism. I was, I just want to comment again, and I want to echo what I said the other night on email. I absolutely love the ECW Lawler angle because i live i live through part of that you know in in the past but you're doing it a different way and i just and i have to echo again on ben you took lawler who we kind of when when you drafted him yeah we thought we you were going to get some play out of him but you've taken him to like main event status like he's headlining and i i think it's genius i think i think that you've really pulled it together and it's, it, you know, Lawler in himself is just funny to begin with. And then you're pulling all, you know, all the typical Lawler stops out and it's working. And I, I love it. And of course, everybody knows I'm a diehard ECW fan. So uh, just the fact that I can replay all that when I'm reading your stories, just, just, it, it's fascinating to me and I, I love it. And then the angle with Joe and Taz is money to me. And I love that that you put them together because I don't. You weren't even a TNA fan no, ten remember, years ago, right? I remember that Taz uh, was briefly his manager, right? So, so supposedly the storyline in TNA when I was a big TNA guy was, you know, Taz took him under his wing and gave him the "I don't give a you know what" attitude, right. and that's kind of when doing the towel, right? Right, and that's kind of when Joe went on a terror in TNA, and he had some of his best matches. And really, Joe kind of carried that on over to WWE now. So Taz had that lasting effect on Joe's career. I think it's it's money that you're putting teacher and student together again like that. I, I love that angle, too. So I think you're doing a good job with it, man. I, I enjoy both you guys' uh, storylines. I, th- I think it's going really well. I think us three should be paid somewhere to write for somebody. <laughs> I, I'd, watch, I'd watch all three of our shows over anything the WWF puts out right now. And we'd be right there on par with AEW in a ratings war. Right. And I, and I'm going to, 
add to what you're saying, I have fi- found myself paying more attention to our stuff than the actual stuff. Oh, that, which is I, funny. I, I, re- I read your all stuff two or three times. Uh, right. You know, to get a feel for it and to like kind of, you know, visualize it in my head and stuff. Right. Yeah. So Christian, so uh, just for the listeners, your organization is called Muscagney Championship Wrestling, and we're referring to it as MCW. And you're, you have two shows a week that you're riding. You have um, your primetime wrestling on Wednesday night and then your shotgun Saturday night. So talk about uh, how you came up with those ideas and um, s- sort of the direction that you uh, are looking to take this organization. So, you know, right now is just about establishing, I think, who's with who. Right. And the tiers of – and I, I think once champions are crowned, uh, you know, I'm trying to set small stuff up for when champions are crowned. But, you know, obviously the weekday show, you know, is the flagship. Obviously, I stole primetime from my childhood from primetime wrestling with Gorilla Monsoon and and Heenan, except uh, I've got Ross and Lawler. And I, I'm going to at some point. So my plan is this. I've got Joey Styles doing the Saturday night, Shotgun Saturday night, which again, I stole from, I'm basically stealing the exact concept, except I'm kind of having my Shotgun Saturday night show be in smaller, more ECW-like venues. Mm, I Uh, think that's good. And uh, and Styles is the solo commentator. And I've also kind of made it clear that, you know, that Lawler has Saturday nights, Saturday nights off to wrestle because he commentates on Wednesdays. Um, but Saturdays he can wrestle. And so he's, I think that ultimately the Lawler and his group versus the former ECW guys is going to be a major kind of more adult storyline on the Saturday night show. And then I think at some point I'm going to kind of like how WCW used to do those terrible kind of shows like on Saturday and Sunday, like during the day, like main event or something. Like I think I'm going to give Gordon Soley kind of a show like that, like where it'll be kind of more guys that aren't getting a lot of TV time. They'll get more because you know, I I didn't realize, I mean, we have a lot of guys. It's, it's hard to fit a lot of, it's hard to fit everybody. I mean, it's almost impossible to fit everybody into two weeks worth of TV on two shows. And so I'm thinking with Gordon Soley, I'm going to do something kind of like a, a main event or a Sunday night heat or something like that, where guys that aren't getting TV time or aren't in any angles, at least they'll get some matches and some B B level storylines. Mm-hmm. Got it. So before we go into what's happening for the past couple of weeks with each episode, Scott, tell us about your brand and federation. So my brand is the uh, Tudor. What, what I can't even remember what I named it. TIWA Tudor's International Wrestling Association. I've got two TV shows a week, similar to Christian. Mine's Thursday Night Prime and Saturday Night Fever. Uh, my 
Thursday night show is my more like I picture it to be more like a uh, WCW Nitro kind of a WWE Raw mix, uh, kind of that uh, style of show, uh, maybe with a little ECW uh, thrown in. And then my Saturday night show is more almost on the level of like if you guys remember the old WCW Saturday night. The, they used mm-hmm. to they used to call it the mothership, and then kind of mix that in with maybe the Saturday morning uh, USWA CWA Lance Russell Dave Brown. Uh, it, it's a lot more like interviews and catching up with what's going on, and then you know squash matches versus uh, my jobbers and and things like that, and sh- you know just trying to establish guys a little bit more, and then of course I'll have a couple of main event. Uh, matches but like my thursday show is every match on there just about could be a main event somewhere so uh i'm kind of high paced high action on thursday night and then saturday you kind of get to soak in the story and really learn more about how the er the characters are feeling and 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 what's going on there and you watch highlights from the previous week and and things kind of a wrap-up show with some uh good action as well and i'm I'm finding the same challenge that Christian mentioned is with this many people, it's super hard to keep everybody, everybody relevant. I mean, you just, I'm trying to fit. That's my biggest challenge is trying to fit people in between the two shows. And what I'm trying to do is keep from uh, overplaying because I think that is WWE's biggest problem right now. And WCW, when they were uh, still in it in the late nineties, early two thousands, is they almost went with too much TV time. I think that you can can burn people out with just cramming it down their throat, you know, three, four days a week and eight hours of, of TV time a week and things like that. It's hard to keep up with. So I'm trying to find the happy medium there where I'm, I'm trying to keep it at two shows, roughly four hours a week, but also keep everybody relevant. And man, it's, it's a stinking challenge, <laughs> but, uh, you know, also to echo what Christian said there or repeat what he said is when I was drafting, I had things in mind, but man, now that I'm writing and getting creative with it, like things take a whole different turn in my mind and I'm going a whole different direction. Like I never even dreamed of, uh, you you know, to give a little Easter egg here before we go into our shows, I never dreamed of, of matching up Macho Man and Rick Rude in a feud right off the bat when I was drafting. I I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking of that, but right now that's a moneymaker for me. It's one of your best feuds, I think. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, it, and it just, it just happened. Like as I was writing my show, it hit me and I'm like, man, I'm going with that. And, uh, I, you know, that feud, I'm going to, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'll let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to stretch that out for a while. Cause I think it, well, can, it just works so headline. perfect because of Macho Man's jealousy and right. And, and, and that him and root and, and the way rude used to did just, Snake's wife. I mean, right. it, 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 Macho Man is a thousand times more intense about Elizabeth than Jake was about his wife. And exactly, exactly. And, and, you've, got, and you've got two former world champions. So I mean, right. that, 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 that's a, that that is a money feud that really should have happened. Right, and it really never did. Right. I mean, no. those two guys never really crossed paths, and they should have. I, I don't. I don't. Looking back at the history of it, there were so many opportunities, and it never happened. That. So I, I'm trying to make that, you know, things remember, like that happen. I don't even remember them ever even having them. I don't even remember a singles match between them ever. I don't on either. Nope. 
come to think of it, I, I agree. And and Jake and Macho or Jake and Rude had that feud, and Macho was there in that, and he was still you know kind of in that upper mid level card with those guys, and it just never. Like when those two guys took off, it was him and Steamboat. So it was just kind of, it just never happened. So, well, I think the thing is at that time when Macho Man lost the Intercontinental Championship to Ricky Steamboat, they started to elevate him to be instead of just the, the mid card guy and the Intercontinental Champion, he started getting more high profile matches to eventually go to a championship run. And when Rude came in, Rude was middle guy, you know, with Jake the Snake, and then he got the Intercontinental title and battled with Warrior. But uh, from what I read with Rick Rude, one of the reasons why he left WWF was because he wanted to have that championship run, and they they weren't going to give him the championship title, and so that's why he left and went to WCW. And then by the time the Macho Man left WWF and went to WCW, Rick Rude had already injured his back. Right. So that, that's speaking, why that didn't speaking happen. Speaking, of, speaking of, of, of WrestleMania three, I just I, I, ha- I have to mention this because I haven't talked to anybody about it. When they replayed the Steamboat Savage match, I had no idea. I'd totally forgotten how bad Steamboat cheated to win the match. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did. Savage, I was so upset. Savage had him down for like a 20 count. And right. then George the Animal Steel like blatantly interfered. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was so upset because, I mean, I, I was like, Macho Man got hosed in that match. He did. And, it, and it's usually the other way around. The face and usually gorilla, gets over. And gorilla, and gorilla was refusing to acknowledge that it was a miscarriage of justice. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I agree, man. So, all right. So that is Scott's breakdown. And then just a summary on mine. I'm calling mine Wilson Wrestling Federation copying WWF. And um, I'm actually, I've actually decided to go with three shows because like you guys mentioned, we have so many guys and women involved on my, my roster. I wanted to try to keep everybody relevant. So I have my main show on Monday night called Monday Night Mayhem, and um, that's kind of like my Monday Night Raw. And it's a three-hour show, which is a lot to write for, but um, I try to do that to showcase more and more talent. Then on Tuesday night, I'm calling that Tuesday Night Action, TNA on TNT, and all my shows are on TNT fake wise but tnt is my exclusive uh, tv network so we have a tuesday night action on tnt and that's where i'm focusing on my tag teams and the women's division primarily so that gives me an opportunity to expose the um primarily you know your road warriors your von erickson midnight express rock and roll express because it would be i just couldn't get all the tag teams enough exposure on a monday night show that i need for these these guys to get, especially when I've got people like the road warriors and the Steiners and the Freebirds. you know, some pretty big um, tag teams out there. And then my final show of the week is called Friday night rock and wrestling. And that's kind of my combination of the, the highlight matches from Monday and Tuesday night. And so what I've decided to do right now is to try to get uh, my faction started. And at first when I was reluctant to pick Chris Jericho with my first pick, actually, that has been a real blessing for me as far as booking because Chris Jericho is so talented in the ring, on the mic, and I really like his band, Fozzie. So I have picked Fozzie to be the official band of the Wilson Wrestling Federation. Oh, he's, so he's, carry, he's carrying your show right now. He's carrying your, your program right now. Yeah. I mean, he's very versatile, so he provides – I try to incorporate music into each show, a rock performance, whether it's by – 
it's by Fozzy or some band that they've toured with or some band that they like. So that feeds into my rock and wrestling. And um, I've paired up his faction, him, with uh, basically the Undisputed Era. So with Adam Cole, uh, Roderick Strong, and then also Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Which, and, not um, to interrupt you, but I, I, I see a huge money feud of the egos of Adam Cole and Jericho clashing months down the road. That, 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 would, that would be uh, something to look out for. Well, well, it could happen, and the thing is, is um, I wanted to get Adam Cole involved early, and so I tried to create the, or I did create this, uh, my TV, cha- uh, TNT TV Championship tournament early. I'm doing my TV tournament before I even go to my heavyweight championship because I have so many talented smaller wrestlers on my roster, like Adam Cole and Finn Balor and AJ Styles, that I just wanted to get them involved early, and I think. Um, you know, it's been a pretty cool tournament so far. And um, so I've tried to create a version of the Horseman, but it's not going to be the traditional four Horsemen because I don't have four, but and I don't have Ric Flair. But I do have Tully and Arn. I do have Barry Windham. And so I've added a few pieces to that. But I'm, I'm looking for a, a battle between the Horsemen and Jericho's new group that I'm calling the Judas Effect. So that's going to be a big uh, battle. And um, I really like my tag team division too, so I went ahead and created my tag team tournament and um so far we'll get to it in the storyline but we're down to our semifinals coming up and um what'll happen is uh, we're actually going to have our finals coming up pretty soon but uh i'm looking forward to that and i've tried to get a lot of good women's matches in with like charlotte flair i've got her battling against wendy richter um because to me wendy richter was like the first woman's wrestler i was really familiar with other than moolah but it was like richter had the the right look I felt and you know uh, the first women's champion I really remember and of course to me Charlotte Flair is the standard bearer when it comes to women wrestling but then I try to do some cool things with like Alexa Bliss and the Bella Twins because of Alexa being so good on the mic so anyway it's been a lot of fun and a lot of writing but I just felt like I needed three shows to expose everybody and I still haven't exposed everybody like I'd like to but it's a lot of fun and uh I'm going to try to go with four promos, uh, I'm sorry, pay-per-views a year, and our first one is going to be the Great American Bash over 4th of July weekend. So that's where we're working right now. So, Christian, um, talk about some of the feuds. You talked about it earlier, but talk about some of the feuds and directions uh, that you have in mind for MCW right now and a little bit of recap of of what has happened. It turns out that uh, the click... I basically have everybody except Triple H. So Paul Nash, Shawn Michaels, and Waltman. The Click had uh, put Steve Austin out on our first show. And what I have been doing, um, have been building up for my first pay-per-view, which is the Royal Rumble, which is Sunday... June 27th, I believe. And we will have the 20-man Royal Rumble match. So I've had qualifying matches for that. And we'll have the final four of the tag team title tournament and the cruiserweight title tournament. So all my champions will be crowned. All my first champions will be crowned at my first pay-per-view. So um, the click... uh, Austin got revenge on them basically by 
costing Michaels his shot in the Rumble, kind of costing Hall and Nash in the tag tournament. Um, six is out of the cruiserweights. Um, Austin was, after he was medically cleared to wrestle, his qualifying match was with, was with JBL and Hall and Nash. Uh, it turns out that the click were trying to kind of use JBL as a decoy. I decided to make, because JBL, I think a lot of people forget that for about a year and a half, I mean, he kind of carried SmackDown uh, as the champion when he was feuding with Eddie Guerrero. And uh, he was a strong character. That's so, um, I've got, I've kind of got him in a weird place where he doesn't want to be a lackey for the click. So he's kind of found, found himself aligned with Austin against them. Um, obviously we've already discussed, uh, the Jerry Lawler and his, uh, loyalists against, uh, the ECW guys. When I realized that I had the elite, I tried to get them involved by having them do a run in and uh, play an effect in the tag tournament. Um, I've got the I've got a, a version of the Horseman right now with Flair, who's the first one to qualify for the Rumble. Flair, Benoit, and Malenko, who are still in the tag tournament. Hellman, who's still in the cruiserweight division. Um, spoiler, um, I need, I've realized that the horsemen need a big guy. Um, need more of an enforcer type character. So, I'm not sure how that's going to develop yet. Um, but mainly what, mainly I'm, what I'm trying to do now is make sure the tournaments um, make sense, get the guys on TV and try and get them involved in some type of storyline. I, I notice now that I'm still, there's still probably 12 guys I haven't even gotten on TV yet. Um, so, you know, it's, you get caught up in, in a storyline you're doing kind of like, I think because I loved the Lawler ECW and so much that you kind of start, you forget about other stuff. Like I, I've already like just realized that I've kind of, after I had punk Shane McMahon, I kind of really haven't done anything with punk since. And I'd planned on making him like a, a big star and, you know, and it's still early. And I mean, I'm only two weeks in, but I guess it's kind of, just trying to establish uh, the best matchups and the best feuds and the best, the most interesting uh, angles and feuds and factions. Got it. So, well, I, I tell you, just from reading your um, your your stories, they get they get better each week, and I think it's because you kind of get into a flow and you kind of know your writing style and what works. And I, I tell you, I really like what you're doing on the Saturday night show with Joey Styles. I mean, when you had it where this story comes in and Joey's recognized and you have it at the old ECW arena and, you know, I just thought that was really, really good. And I agree with Scott. 
the the stuff you're doing with Lawler is the best stuff going on right now. I mean, he's so great on the mic, and his interference has been good. And I, I just really enjoy reading the segments involving Lawler. And that allows you to also bring in Jeff Jarrett. Right. So, uh, I appreciate all right, it. So Scott, oh, so, Scott, what do you got going on uh, in uh, TIWA? So, TIWA, like I mentioned before, I've got the Thursday Night Prime Show and then Saturday Night Fever. And we touched a little bit on one of my hot feuds right now. And, you know, I haven't turned in my Saturday show yet. I promise you guys I've got it halfway typed up. It's already written out. I, and how, I don't know how you guys are doing that, but I'm writing mine out and then typing it. Is that what you guys are doing, or are you just typing as you go? I'm just typing as I go because I don't have the Man. time to do I tell you what, I, I type as I go, and I mean, half the time, I, I'm I'm thinking as I go. <laughs> like, I don't know right. exactly how it's going to play out. And so then, I'm thinking, I, I, mean, I, I may need to change to that style. And, I, and then I always... Well, map out. Go ahead, Don. Go ahead, Richard. Well, I was going to say, I always keep YouTube open uh, in another window, so I, I might type a wrestler's name in to kind of give me some ideas of, of stuff they, they used to be involved with. Right. Yeah. Now I do that. I mean, but I, I go ahead and for each match, I kind of, before I even start writing, I just write what my card is going to be and, um, you know, kind of get in my mind how it's going to go. And the, but, but then once I start, um, getting the matches ready to go, I just start typing because of the lack of time. Cause I mean, like, like I said earlier, I mean, it really does. It takes several hours to, to write it and plan it out. And, you know, you're trying to do it where I always say for my show, all right, this match is going to be 15 minutes and then I've got to allow for a commercial break. And then I've got a 15 minutes here or there. So I try to be as real as I can in, in my storyline. And I try to write so that when someone's reading it, it's like that they're watching it on TV. Exactly. And I followed your format. Here's been my problem. I've been more, Instead of like play by playing the matches, I've kind mm-hmm. of been more focusing on storylines, results of the match. I mean, instead of doing, you know, six paragraphs of you know all the moves, I I, I just I find myself kind of just getting lazy on that part, kind of just getting to the high spots and the finish, and right, and kind of focusing more on on the angles and the stories. Well, I, I need to get to, to more of that because I mean, I get into the storyline, but then I look up and it's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get to bed here. Right. And that, and that's where my time consuming comes in because I'm starting with a clean slate. I mean, I've got an idea in my head where I'm going and I start writing it out. I've got a tablet that I'm writing my stories out. And you know, while I'm writing in my tablet, I'll insert, you know, YouTube, music and and for the fans listening all of our episodes that we've done we've all inserted music we've inserted uh promos we've inserted you know highlights of matches and stuff from youtube it's really really entertaining and uh, all of us have good music and and we're bringing our guys out to their entrance music and things like that so it's it's been pretty cool on that but what i do is i'll write and write in youtube and then i get on youtube and start looking around and do the exact same thing christian's saying once I find their entrance music, I'll see other videos with those wrestlers and I'm, I'm, I get interested in that and start looking at it and generate more ideas. And then once I finally get my stuff written out, 
then I'll turn around and type it in, which isn't as time consuming once I've got it written out because all I got to do is type it, but it's yet another element. And I'm kind of in agreement that I, I've been putting too much into the matches, like trying to tell the story of the match. Maybe I need to kind of fade away from that a little bit more and start going into the storylines. But so we talked about one of my hot feuds right now between Macho and Rick Rude, which uh, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. This this should have happened years ago. We should have got money out of this and and Saturday night's main events and maybe a WrestleMania match and or at least a good solid pay-per-view on one of the big four. And uh, I'm kind of uh, going along with, I think, what Ben said. We'd never talked about it, but I'd already had it in my head. I'm going with like four main pay-per-views. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want to build the storylines up a little bit more like we used to do back in the good old days of WWF and, and NWA, WCW. Because I feel like today there's probably too many pay-per-views and you're trying to throw people in and the storylines aren't as effective. And I think that's part of WWE's issue. One of the other hot storylines I got going on is another match that never happened and should have is Hulk Hogan versus Bruiser King Kong Brody. I love that. And I'm big on that one because when you look back through Hogan's Japan tour in the early 80s and all that, he fought with everybody but Brody. You know, he made money with Dusty Rhodes in Japan. He made money with Stan Hansen in Japan. And you're talking big time matches that a lot of people who are just casual fans don't realize Hogan was involved in. And Hogan back then and Brody would have been just two beasts going at it. I mean, I, they would have, those matches would have been great. And, I'll tell you why that didn't happen. Because bottom line, Hogan wasn't going to lose to Brody and Brody wasn't going to lose to Hogan. So right. they just came to a stalemate. But see, Hogan's ego back then they ever in the, in the early 80s wasn't as bad. Did Say that ever, again, Christian. Did they ever do anything in Japan? No, I looked it up. I can't find anything on them. But you can find all kinds of Hogan and Hanson, Hogan and Dusty Rhodes, you know, Hogan and uh, Inoki, and a lot of those guys over there. I mean, he he tore it down with a bunch of guys over there, but never could find anything on him and Brody. So that's why I'm trying to make it happen because I think it's a money a money feud, uh, you know. And I started this out by Hogan cutting a promo in in the ring and Brody coming out of the crowd and nailing him. And uh, from then on, that's where we're at. And then, of course, this last week, I kind of uh, like Saturday night, I kind of I'm trying to keep it relevant by them cutting promos on each other. And you guys will see that here in a little while when I send it out via email. But uh, let's see. I've got Triple H doing like a vignette where he's working out, things like that. You guys haven't seen that one yet. It's coming. Uh, oh, let's you see. Just, you, can, you can just post that one he did. For, for right. Hey, you too. When he come back from the leg injuries, right? right. Uh, yeah, that was a good one, actually. Uh, I've got the Dudley boys and sheep herders warming up. We, I've only had like one major uh, incident with them two, but those are two of the most extreme tag teams in history. So I feel like that one's going to heat up. And then I uh, have the Nasty Boys versus Public Enemy, which is a natural one. They actually did go at it in the WCW days, and it was a pretty good back and forth. And Doom and Harlem Heat is probably my top uh, feud right now for tag teams, and they're going back and forth. I need to, uh, you know, I kind of let that one die. The racial friendly. Right. The the all African American. Think about it, though, man. Four muscle head athletes going at it and all with bad attitudes. 
that feud would have been money back in the day if they, they would have ever uh, made it happen. And then, of course, the Russians and Demolition, which I like that one because I was a big Demolition fan and uh, a big Nikita Koloff fan. So they And oddly enough, Smash was with Nikita in WCW as one of the Russians. And then, you know, of course, they, ne- you know, Demolition and the Russians never crossed paths because they were in different federations after that. But uh, so I, I've kind of got that going on. I think that's going pretty well. But like you guys said, I've still got several tag teams and several uh, singles that haven't even been accounted for yet. They hadn't even cut a, a promo or done a vignette or anything like that. Now, with this Saturday, the program I wrote for last night, all of my women finally have been accounted for. Not all of them have seen action, but they, they've they all at least cut a promo or, or have wrestled. And I don't have any good feuds going in the women's ranks yet, but I've had several good matches. And right now I've got like China and Lita and Asuka and uh, uh, Rhea Ripley kind of leading the way for the rest of them. And, you know, they're, they're kind of like my strong four, but the whole women's division that I've got are really good. So it's, it's going to be a good back and forth uh, going forward. And I did, for the record, for those of you listening that are really old school fans, I did uh, have Magnum TA have a match. So, and it he, I made him look good. So we're going to go somewhere with him eventually. I'm not sure where yet. That's about it for me, though. All right. Well, I kicked my federation off on uh, with Monday Night Mayhem, and the first episode was on May 11th. And I had it come from Tampa, Florida, which is where Chris Jericho lives in real life. So my opening song is with Fozzie, and they do a great song, um, a rendition of the old classic song, Balls to the Wall, which if you listen to that on YouTube, I mean, it's just a, a really strong rock song that I, I felt was a good attitude for um, this kind of a show. So I have it where the show kicks off with um, Jericho and the Fozzie band playing Balls to the Wall, and they get a big pop from the crowd. And I actually have seen Fozzie live before, and they're they're really good. So anyway, I have Chris Jericho, my number one draft pick. Welcome into the crowd to the launch of uh, WWF's Wilson Wrestling Federation's Monday Night Mayhem on TNT. And he boasts that in 2019, it was an amazing year, and 2020 has been just as amazing uh, because Fozzie had a number one hit song with Judas. He uh, held two world heavyweight titles both in the U.S. and Japan that year. And he also won the very, very important Living the Dream Wrestling Podcast Award for the 2019 Wrestler of the Year. So in my only appearance, most likely in the wrestling show, he called me out, and I came out along with Rodney the Bulldog, and I came out with five models who were blonde and five that were brunettes, and we presented Jericho with a trophy for winning the Living of the Dream Wrestling of the Year Award. So then in typical Jericho fashion, he kicked me and Rodney off, he, but he kept the models. And all of a sudden, they became basically what he called like his uh, Judas Jewels. And uh, so anyway, but Jericho was like, you know what? Getting all these awards is just not satisfying enough for him. There was something missing. And basically, he felt that he needed to have something to uh, continue this momentum. And he also felt a duty to mentor top talent. So that's when he brought out the group formerly known as Undisputed Era. He brought out Adam Cole, Roddy Strong, uh, Bobby Fish, and uh, Kyle O'Reilly. And, you know, they got a big pop because, I mean, they're they're way over in NXT. And he was like, you know what? We still need something, um, 
You know, we need somebody with some power, some muscle, some good looks, some charisma, someone with a total package. And with that, he announced Lex Luger as the final member of this organization. So Lex came out with a big pop. And I picked him to be the 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 powerhouse, basically, of this group because, you know, Jer- Jericho um, was coming out with the rock band and already had the models out there. Adam Cole, you know, has a big following with uh, people and the, the women like him, too. So I'm like, Lex Luger would be a perfect fit. So Jericho basically gives everybody a little glass of the bubbly and they decide on a new group name and they call it the Judas Effect. And so basically they talk about how they're so dominant and, you know, that they're going to teams like in the past, like the Horsemen, they're they're just uh, useless and they're they're flashes in the pan. Well, of course, that upsets Tully Blanchard and he and Arn come out and along with Barry Windham and they talk some trash on the opening segment. And then there's a fight. And basically, after the fight, uh, the juice effect gets the upper hand because they outnumber the the horsemen. And so after the fight, Tully and Arn are upset, and they challenge Fish and O'Reilly for the first match. And so we start a series of battles that we're going to have with uh, Tully and Arn versus the Undisputed Era. And I like this pairing because I think both of these teams are really good uh, in the ring technicians. And uh, so far, I've had uh, Tully and Arn getting the upper hand on the Undisputed Era just because out of respect for Tully and Arn, and I think they're more accomplished than the Undisputed Era. But I just like this matchup because I think they'd be a really good pairing in the ring. Um, so that was my first opening match. I had uh, the Juice Effect actually coming in and beating up on Tully and Arn just to get heat. Tully and Arn actually won by DQ, but I want to build more heat with uh, the Judas Effect and also just show, hey, the, the horsemen are outnumbered. So uh, my next match, I, I thought this would be a kind of a, a good mid-card pairing with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, Garvin and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. And I was going on the fact that Jimmy Garvin is known as gorgeous, Eddie Gilbert is hot stuff, and they both had attractive valets and with Jimmy Garvin having Precious and Missy Hyatt. So I just like that fact because both those guys are about the same size. I think it would be a good pairing. I have Eddie Gilbert primarily being the face. And, of course, I have Precious and Missy Hyatt getting involved and. Uh, so far, I've given Jimmy Garvin a push on that, but I've also set up some cat fights with Precious and Missy Hyatt, which I think are are pretty good. So that is kind of one of my mid card rivalries. Uh, the next match on my first episode, I had Nikolai Volkov come out, and the announcer Howard Finkel requested that everyone to uh, the Mr. Volkov had kindly asked that the crowd please stand and remove their hats as he sings the Russian national anthem. And of course, the crowd is booing and Nikolai's complaining. Then he starts to sing, Well, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, cannot take this anymore. So then Dusty runs out to the ring and he battles with Nikolai and they go at it. But uh, anyway, Nikolai rakes the eyes and he all, all of a sudden grabs the flag and does a beat down on Dusty with uh, the flag. And Dusty is injured, and all of a sudden, Dr. Death and Otis have to come out to help him. And what? guess what? Dusty Rhodes has been beaten down again. So I've had Dusty off TV for the past week, so we will see when he makes his big comeback. But I kind of like the idea of an, the American dream versus the Russian there. So um, then in the middle of the first episode, I'm just trying to get some guys over. Uh, so... One of my main heels is a Brooklyn Brawler, and when I was doing my writing, I realized that the Brooklyn Brawler is like really important in my promotion because 
I thought the Brooklyn Brawler, I mean, yes, he was a jobber, but he always gave a pretty good match, especially like in those late 80s, because he was even managed by Heenan. So I had a match where yeah, they, they jumped, he jumped the Red Rooster on Raw, and yep. Gorilla yeah. accidentally got hit by the chair. So, so I had it where um, Otis and Mandy came out for a match against the Brooklyn Brawler, but I have that the, the Brooklyn Brooklyn Brawler is announced first, and he's like trash talking the Tampa crowd and everything, and he throws the cigar button to the crowd, and then Otis and Mandy come out to a huge pop, and um, the bottom line is the Brooklyn Brawler is distracted by the beauty of Mandy Rose, and that gives Otis an opportunity to he splashes him, and the Brooklyn Brawler just never gets rolling in this match and Otis comes out, nails him with the um the worm and uh the the power slam and comes out the winner. And of course the Brooklyn Brawler is embarrassed and upset and he he's embarrassed the state of New York. So he calls out the toughest guy in the building to come out and challenge him and this is the junkyard dog coming out. So I had JYD come out and he and the Brooklyn Brawler went back and forth. Um, but ultimately a junkyard dog goes over in that match and then comes out and celebrates dancing with the crowd and even brings in some little kids. So I just thought that was kind of a cool way to get some heat on the brawler and also just kind of get junkyard dog and Otis introduced. But, uh, what I'm trying to do in my, uh, second hour of the Monday night matches, I'm really trying to go with some really strong matches. Um, so my first match here, I had Roddy Strong versus AJ Styles, and I actually booked this to be um, a 20-minute time limit draw. Let's see. I just want to make sure I did that. Yeah, it was a 20-minute time limit draw because obviously we know AJ Styles has consistently been ranked one of the, the top wrestlers in, in um, both for his technical skills and, and uh, just everything. But I really like Roddy Strong. I think he's really good, and I think um, – I went with a 20-minute time limit draw, too, because he's kind of promoted in NXT as being this guy that's got, like, great conditioning and, you know, all that. So I just – and I wanted to keep both of those guys strong, pardon the pun. But uh, – so that's why I went ahead and had it as a time limit draw. But then, you know, Roddy gets so upset about it, and so he attacks AJ. And then the other uh, – Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and Adam Cole come in and do a beatdown. Well, this gives an opportunity for Tully and Arn and Barry Windham to come in and kind of uh, help Styles out. So I'm trying to have some synergy between the Horsemen and AJ Styles because the Horsemen need numbers. Um, then I wanted I need to introduce Seth Rollins, and I kind of went in my next match for a kind of the WrestleMania three match with Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat, but I did it with Rollins and Steamboat. But uh, in this one, I actually had um, it going almost no. Let's see, yeah, just before the 20-minute time limit draw, I had Steamboat hit Rollins with a crossbody. Um, however, the time ran out on the two counts. So it was a, a time limit draw. And so but the Monday Night Messiah is so upset that he couldn't beat Steamboat that he uh, refused to shake his hands and he attacks Ricky Steamboat with a chair. So creating some heat with uh, Rollins and Steamboat. But this is another match where I just kind of wanted to establish both of those guys as really strong wrestlers and I didn't want somebody to take a loss and then my third match in um, that segment was just really talented wrestlers I went with Adam Cole versus Ricochet and I wanted to get Adam Cole introduced into the match since he had been introduced as part of the Judas effect and I picked Ricochet just because I felt that'd be a really great matchup with two guys who are about the same size and can do a lot of things both on the mat but also in the air 
And uh, ultimately, I had Adam Cole going over in that match. He cradled a ricochet up for the win by holding the tights at the 18-minute mark. And I had him win by holding the tights just to try to make Ricochet look strong. But I really want to establish Adam Cole in my division. So uh, Adam Cole went over. So then one of my favorite wrestlers on my roster is Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. So my next segment, I kind of introduced him through a video where I don't know if you guys remember, but when he first came to the WWF, they'd have all these videos where Perfect would be hitting a golf ball. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's how I kind of introduced Mr. Perfect was this video showing him doing all these things. It was absolutely perfect. So so he comes to the ring, and um, he has a match against Jobber Barry Horowitz. And, of course, Mr. Perfect wrestles the perfect match um, with Barry getting absolutely no offense and Perfect even patting himself on the shoulder and mocking Barry Horowitz. But uh, Perfect finishes off Barry Horowitz with uh, the perfect plex, and Jesse the Body says it was just absolutely perfect. So then um, to cap off my third um, hour, I had an adi- uh, episode of Piper's Pit with Roddy Piper, and his special guest was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And Roddy comes out, and he's kind of upset. He's upset at me as the promoter for putting him on in the third hour because he's like, you know, this Jericho guy shouldn't be booked over me. I'm a legend, and you know, you're putting me in the third hour. What kind of nonsense is this? Um, he was even upset that he was the number two pick in the draft as opposed to number one. But, uh, anyway, he's trying to keep a good frame of mind. He brings in Paul Orndorff, who was a, an associate of his, and they, uh, are interrupted by Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens doesn't like the fact that Jericho or the Piper's trash talking about his former best friend, Chris Jericho, and then Piper and Jericho get into an argument. And ultimately there's a fight, a beatdown with Paul Orndorff and Piper, and this is establishing Piper as a complainer, but I really wanted to set up a matchup of Kevin Owens and Paul Orndorff because I, I just felt that would be a really great match. Um, then the last two matches, I I have Terry Funk and Mankind here, and I just kind of wanted to introduce them as just a, a hardcore match, and so that's what I did. And um, I had to go on for about 20 minutes, but ultimately um, I had it where – the fight continues until Cactus Jack is rammed into a steel pole. Funk rolls him into, uh, into the ring and hits a bunch of pile drivers on him and ultimately wins. So I had Terry Funk going over just because he was a, 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 a longtime world champion. But, I mean, I wanted to establish both of them as just tough guys, and they're going to beat the fire out of anybody. And then last, I had Barry Wyndham versus Lex Luger because they had those classic matches in the 80s. Ultimately, um, I had it where uh, uh, the, the Judas effect came in and they interfered um, and attacked Barry Wyndham. And soon then Tully and Arn came back to help out Barry. And then ultimately AJ Styles comes in and he starts battling Roddy Strong and then Perfect comes in to help. And so I basically wanted to establish that rivalry with Barry Wyndham and Luger, but I wanted to have more heat with uh, the Judas effect and Tully and Arn. And then by including Styles and Perfect, I'm kind of building a, a connection between those guys. So that's that was my first episode, and I just tried to establish as many people as I could. But I really wanted to get those factions started with Jericho and uh, you know Tully and Arn. So then my Tuesday night match. Uh, that's my tag team division. I had that coming from Dallas uh, because I've, I started out with uh, the Von Ericks being called to the ring, and I have Charlie Caruso as my backstage announcer, and. 
I created a little segment for her. It's called Charlie's Smoke Show. And the idea is because she's always wearing something pretty tight and she looks good. So I just wanted to have her on. And I had her interviewing the Von Erics because they're legendary with Dallas wrestling. And and I picked them to be the first guests as well because whenever they went to the ring, like the women would just go nuts and scream and everything. So, but, and Scott, I, I hope you appreciated this. As much as I do love Kerry Von Erich, he was not the best on the promo. So, so I tried. I tried to have his first. I had it where, um, you know, Charlie greets Kevin and Kerry and says, "You know, she's never seen so many women in the audience scream like that for wrestlers." And Kerry says, "Thank you so much, Charlie. I'm so glad to be here. I'm in the best shape of my life. We love our fans, and God bless Texas." <laughs> and that was about equivalent to his normal promo, unfortunately. Yes. So I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, so anyway, she interviews the Von Erics and they talk about the, you know, history in Dallas. But then, um, you know, the, they um, have uh, the Freebirds come in. And at first, you know, it'd be very easy for me to go and have a Freebirds Von Eric rivalry, but I'm not doing that initially. And I had it where they kind of come out as, um, you know, just reminiscing of the success of world class and how important the free birds were. But then ultimately I introduced Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams and I have Gino really come in and be the heel. And he's upset that he's not included in this segment because he's known as the handsome half breed and he should definitely be featured on a show called the smoke show. But he's like, I'm being disrespected and everything. And ultimately it leads to um, heat between the Von Eriks and Charlie or, uh, and uh, Gino and Chris, and that leads to our first match for that Tuesday night. So I have the Von Erichs versus Gino. Ultimately, I had the Von Erichs going over in the match, but I just had it where Chris and uh, uh, Chris Adams and Gino were getting some heat. But I wanted to start off with a real world class feud that was pretty hot. So then I bring in my women's segment. Um, I have a, a moment of bliss talk show with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, and they bring in the, the Bella Twins as the first. Pairing and honestly, I, I probably really made a mistake. I mean, this is my only women's tag team, but so they're kind of a natural feud. But um, I have the Bella Twins come in and be kind of just snobbish and and everything. So some back and forth between them, and ultimately, like I have it where um, Brie uh, they respond that they're here to dominate the women's division, and if anyone stands in their way, they're going to be taken care of. And Nikki Bella stands up, and um, oh, before that, she's kind of saying, "Hey, you know." TNA, that's named after me, Nikki Bella, who represents TNA more than me, which is something she would probably say. Absolutely. So, um, but I, I have it where she stands up in front of Alexa and says, and just remember that we're the face of the Divas division and a top national TV show, and we're multiple time champions, and there's nothing that Nikki Bella can't do when she sets her minds to it. And Alexa Bliss responds, except keep a man which Nikki Bella gets really ticked at that, slaps her face, and then there's a beatdown of Alexa and Nikki Cross. So Guys, that's I've, got it. I've got to sign off here. I've got, Are you going to have to sign? I've got, I've got an obligation at 7. I need to get ready for All right. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll uh, touch base with our rivalry through the week. All right. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it. I'll talk to you all soon. MCW, you. baby. MCW. <laughs> See you, Christian. All right. So, uh, anyway, that basically resulted in the fact of uh, the Bella Twins and um, 
the um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross having a rivalry, which I really like that idea of the rivalry between them because I think, number one, you got some pretty sassy people in there with the Bellas and also Alexa Bliss. And I also like the idea of, you know, we've talked about it before, Scott, you got Alexa Bliss paired with Nikki Cross. And Nikki Cross is, like you said, kind of like the wing woman. She's not like the Bella twins or whatever as far as, or Alexa as far as appearance. But, you know, she's tough as nails and a lot of people can really relate to her. And so I just thought that would be good storytelling, having them together. Right. So then um, I introduced the New Day, uh, have them in a, a I went over the young stallions of Jim uh, Powers and Paul Roma. Um, and then I had the Midnight Express versus the Fantastics. I had a, a good 15-minute match because I do like the Fantastics. I'm not going to put them over the Midnight Express, but you know they're an important um, they're an important um, team on this division. But uh, of course, I have to involve Jim Cornette, and of course, I have the Midnight Express winning their first match by uh, uh, Jim Cornette tossing the tennis racket into the ring, and Stan uh, Stan Lane hits Bobby Fulton over the head with it, sends it back to Cornette, and then he tags in Bobby Eaton, and they hit the Alabama Slam for the finisher. And I have with Cornette involved. I've got to, of course, have an interview. So I have Charlie Caruso interview Jim Cornette. After the match, and she asked Jim Cornette about why was it necessary for him to resort to cheating tactics to get the win. And Cornette goes on a tirade of like, what cheating? What cheating? The referee didn't see any cheating out there by the Midnight Express or me, Charlie. David Manning, who is a longtime world-class referee in Dallas, he's been a ref for over 20 years. And if he saw any cheating out there, you know darn well he would have disqualified us. So stop trying to mislead the public out there and all these people like I know you journalists like to do. So just stick to looking pretty, honey, and lay off abusing Botox and lip fillers, and and you'll go a long way in this business. Which is something Cornette would say. That's exactly what he would say. Yeah. So anyway, he's like, the bottom line is the Midnight Express, a beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan are the best tag team in uh, in WWF, and we'll take on anybody at any time, and we're the best. So, and Charlie is just astonished after being berated by Jim Cornette. But the bottom line is that's what Cornette would do in his, in his promos. So, so then, um, I try to get, uh, the women involved here. So I have Charlotte Flair, um, do an appearance and Beth Phoenix as, uh, interviewing her. And basically I do an introduction where Charlotte comes in, she's greeted by a bunch of booze. She, talks about she gets more heat by she talks about the fact that she's a flair and that the Dallas cr- uh, crowd remembers how many times that her dad Rick Flair cheated the Von Erics out of titles uh, or, or basically beat down the Von Erics out of titles and um, so anyway Charlotte does the interview and says she's the queen of professional wrestling and a true icon and she's come to the WWF to continue her dominance and if there's any woman back in that locker room that wants to knock off the queen then just come out and give it a shot and that's when Cindy Lauper's girls just want to have fun song hits and Wendy Richter comes out and Wendy uh, is like that she's been a, a trailblazer. She was the first woman to rest, to win uh, the title at WrestleMania. And uh, she was even the, the basis for Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling uh, because she was with Cindy Lauper and all this popular stuff. So basically I have a huge fight between Charlotte and Wendy Richter and um, ultimately Charlotte ends up retreating and, um, Cindy Lauper hit her over the head with like a chair and they got Charlotte's robe 
and they tore it up, and Charlotte's furious. So I just basically established the basis for a feud with Charlotte Flair and Wendy Richter. And then I also had a segment with Sasha Banks and Trish Stratus, and had uh, Sasha come in, and she received a good... I had her to receive a good response from the crowd because a lot of young women especially, they really like Sasha Banks as the boss. And she calls out Trish Stratus because she accuses Trish of trying to dodge her in a match because Trish has battled Charlotte Flair. She's battled a lot of the other top stars, but never Sasha Banks. And uh, so Trish comes out, gets really a big pop, and they go head-to-head with a lot of trash talking. But ultimately, I have Sasha Banks going over here because Trish kind of slighted uh, Beth Phoenix. And um, so what I had happen there is basically I had that um, Sasha gets upset. She um, They had the, the interview and stuff and basically set up a match for later that night. Um, then I introduced the Road Warriors. Uh, I had them go up against the bar, Sheamus and Cesaro. I picked that uh, just because I think that'd be a good physical matchup for the Road Warriors with Sheamus and Cesaro being so, so, uh, so solid and just you know big physical guys. But uh, I had it going back and forth. I made sure I I did not do this as a squash match for uh, the, uh, the bar because I just think they're too good for that. Ultimately, I have the Road Warriors going over, but I, I do want to have it where the bar looked tough as well. And uh, then I finally have the, the match with uh, Trish Stratus and uh, Sasha Banks to end the, the episode. And basically, it was a back-and-forth match you know, with Trish and Sasha both getting in a lot of their good moves. Ultimately, though, um, I have Sasha Banks going over because there was a segment where basically Sasha or Trish basically kind of threw Sasha into the, on the announcer's desk and Sasha ended up in the lap of Beth Phoenix and Beth took it personal. And so she ultimately she left the, the table and sucker punched Trish, which kind of set her up for Sasha, uh, putting the bank statement on her. And, uh, that's how Sasha got the win. And then ultimately there was, uh, some heat afterwards with Trish and Beth Phoenix. So the goal of that one was basically I wanted to establish Sasha and Trish as really solid in-ring performers, but also um, rekindle some heat with Trish Stratus and Beth Phoenix, which right now Beth is currently an announcer role, but I just kind of wanted to have some some heat going on there. So that was my first Tuesday night action, and then we went into the rock and wrestling. And like I said earlier, that's kind of just a recap of um, the week's matches. So I had another episode with Fozzie um, introducing the show and um, I had uh, this was in Atlanta Georgia so I had the fabulous Freebirds come out especially with it being a rock and wrestling theme and I had them have a good solid match with the Fantastics but ultimately I had the, the Freebirds going over the Fantastics um, then I had a second match where I had a rematch of Tully and Arn versus the Undisputed Era and ultimately I had Tully and Arn winning this one um, and I thought it was important to actually get them a win. Um, the way it happened is Arn um, Anderson ultimately got control of Bobby Fish, hit him with a DDT, and um, got the win. So, um, but Fish and O'Reilly, they still look strong because it was it was really a good back-and-forth match. So then with this being in Atlanta, I wanted to introduce the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express feud. So I had those guys come out. You know, a really great back and forth match that I had to go for 15 minutes. 
ultimately I put over the Rock and Roll Express this time because I tried to have Jim Cornette interfere, and it actually backfired on him. And uh, so I had the Rock and Roll go over, which I, I felt was the right move to do because I, I'd already got a win for the Midnight Express. I didn't want to necessarily have the Rock and Roll uh, take a beating there in Atlanta. So um, I had the Rock and Roll go over. Then um, I had a rematch of my AJ Styles-Roddy Strong match um, from Monday night that ultimately was a, a draw. But on Friday night, basically what I did is I had um, uh, Styles go back and forth, and I ultimately had Styles um, get the win. He uh, got his first win, got a huge pop, but I kept uh, tried to keep Roddy Strong really strong. But I needed to get AJ Styles that win. And uh, then I introduced Finn Balor, uh, and I had a good match with him and Ricochet. Ultimately, I'm pushing Finn Balor in that match. And then I had Adam Cole versus Rey Mysterio because I hadn't introduced Rey yet. And that's another one. I just really think that would be a match those guys could tear the house down. But I'm kind of strong on Adam Cole right now, especially with him being in this faction with Jericho. So I ultimately had... um, uh, him coming out and uh, beating Ray Mysterio. Basically what I had, let's see. I had it where, I mean, Ray was kicking Adam Cole. He went for a splash off the top rope. Ultimately, Cole moves away, hits Ray with a super kick two times, then a neck breaker, and he goes for a pin, but I had several kicks out, kick out by kick outs by Ray. But uh, ultimately, I had it where um, um, that uh, Cole encounter, uh, reverses the move. He ultimately hits his running knee on Ray for the pin, and the crowd uh, responds, you know, great match, great match. But um, I wanted to establish both of them strong, but I just felt like that Adam Cole was the one to push. And finally, I had a, a main event of Chris Jericho versus Mr. Perfect. They had gone back and forth with each other in the promo. Um, ultimately, there was some heat with uh, Chris Jericho and Mr. Perfect in the opening. Um, because uh, the bottom line is Jericho did not appreciate Mr. Perfect sticking his nose into Jericho's business with the battle with the horseman. But ultimately, I had Mr. Perfect going over with Chris Jericho with Arn Anderson coming out from under the ring, hitting the spine buster, and um, that way Jericho was in a position to be putting the perfect plex for a win by Mr. Perfect. And the whole purpose of that, I'm trying to push this of eventually... There might be there might be a connection with Mr. Perfect in the the uh, the uh, the Horseman, but we shall see. But that was the goal of the first week. So, um, give me your thoughts on uh, the first week. I think that you got a good storyline going. Uh, I'll uh, repeat what Christian said about Adam Cole and and Jericho. I I think that down the road that's money. I think uh, that has to happen at some point with the egos being too big. I love the opening of your show with Jericho's band playing. Uh, mm. I, I think the music is a huge part of wrestling and I never did say what I used for mine, but obviously, you know, and, ACD. and yeah. And Christian knows that I use ACDC a long way to the top for my opening for Thursday night prime. And then, uh, I was expecting to get some feedback from Christian on, uh, the first week's show when I brought out Gorilla and Bobby the Brain to uh, that song uh, from the new uh, Cobra Kai show. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching any of that. It's basically a, uh, 
it, like a later on season of what happened with the Karate Kid characters. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it's called Back in the Game. It's a really good song. It, it's a recent song, but it's kind of like the 80s metal that we all liked. And uh, I figured Christian would give me a pop on that one, but he never did say anything about it. But yeah, yeah the music, uh, obviously Jericho's music uh, is awesome. And opening it with an old ACDC cover is you, you can't go wrong with that. So I, I do love that. And I will pull that up on YouTube and listen to it whenever I read your stories. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think you're doing a good job with, with the women so far. Charlotte Flair is a natural you know, she can be a heel or a face regardless. She's going to be a threat. And, uh, I, I think you're doing well there. And I like the creativity of Charlie smoke show. And I, I think that's perfect because she's gorgeous. And I, I think it just fits. So uh, mm-hmm. overall, I, I would listen to you guys' stuff or watch your guys shows over anything on TV right now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So, uh, that was quite a mouthful. I will not be as, detailed on my second week but just kind of I kind of wanted to establish the basis for my shows but uh, what I did do in the second week is um, I still wanted to continue this feud with uh, the Judas Effect and the Horsemen and one of the problems that the Horsemen have been facing is that they are outnumbered and so they've been you know AJ Styles came in and perfect helped them at the end so my Monday night episode from this week I had it where the Horsemen started the episode, and this is coming from our alma mater in Murray, Kentucky, at the old Racer Arena at Murray State University, which I think back in our day, if they had a, a Monday Night Raw or a Monday Nitro or something to Murray, it would have sold out for sure. No question about that. The, the old field house was the place to be, man. That was one of the hardest places to play college basketball. Yeah, and honest to gosh, I mean, I think a wrestling match there would be great because it's 5,000 people on the bleachers, like, looking down on the the wrestlers. Uh, and I like the idea of having some matches in smaller arenas because even when you go back to the days of the Sportatorium, uh, those matches in those hot arenas where, I mean, they're like 2,000 to 5,000 screaming fans in there, the intensity, well, ECW is another example. Right. That crowd emotion is just amazing. And the old Memphis uh, CWA, USWA at the Memphis Coliseum, the, I think their yeah. biggest house was like six to 7,000. Oh, it was. I thought that was a bigger arena. But, yeah, I, I mean, all those old uh, videos and stuff I'd see, I mean, that Memphis auditorium was packed. Yep. And loud. So so I, I brought it back to Murray for a, a Monday Night Mayhem, and I had to kick off with Tully Arn and Barry Windham walking out to a huge ovation because I think you would agree that Murray State University, home of the racers, the thoroughbreds, would definitely be horseman territory, right? That's right. Absolutely. So, uh, so anyway, and I had it where I recreated the legendary promo where Arn Anderson, basically, he said that uh, he came out and Tully you know, took the mic and they – said it's great to be back in horseman territory, home of the racers, and the crowd cheers loudly. But then I said that Arn says that the horsemen have had some flies in uh, – Arn says that the horsemen have had some flies that have been annoying them lately. And when a horse has been annoyed by a fly for too long, the horse finds a way to swat down the fly. And I'm trying to write this like 
that Arn Anderson would be saying it. And I think he would say something like that. Yep. He's like, well, the Judas effect is that fly, and it's time for the horseman to swat down that fly. But for all the math and finance majors here at Murray State, you know that we have a numbers problem because we're only three, and the Judas effect is a team of six. So we need to improve the numbers game. Well, I have a plan to combat that problem, and I'm going to address that problem right now. I have a challenge that I want to issue tonight. And as to you, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning and AJ Styles, don't misunderstand me. It's not a, and I was literally, at this point, I literally was paraphrasing his, his promo on a Monday Nitro years ago. He's like, I have a challenge to issue tonight. And as to you, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning and to AJ Styles, don't misunderstand me. It's not for a fight. You have something special. I've seen you in the ring, your skills, your maturity, and your commitment to excellence, or should I say perfection and the phenomenal. And that makes you special, and the crowd applauds. Now, what is my challenge to you, Kurt and AJ? Is for you to stand beside me and two of my best friends and help lead the horsemen to glory and the prominence in and prominence in the Wilson Wrestling Federation that we have experienced in the past. And the crowd erupts and yells, yes, yes, yes. The honor of being a horseman is not one to be taken lightly, but for you, we are willing to create a spot. And the crowd erupts, because I guess you'll remember that classic spot interview or promo he had. Absolutely. So so then I have it where the music for Perfect and uh, uh, AJ come hits, and they come out to a huge pop. And Perfect takes the mic and talks to Arnie. He says, you know... I know every wrestler that has ever been around this biz- in this business that we call wrestling, and I don't know anyone who in their right mind would turn down an opportunity to be a horseman other than me, alluding to his 1997 turn on the horseman. So the crowd is shocked. However, with age comes wisdom, and from mistakes comes knowledge. So all I have to say to you is it would be a privilege to be a horseman again, and perfect shakes Arn's hand and a crowd erupts. So then AJ turns, or Arn turns to AJ, and he's like, so AJ, what's your decision? And AJ says, you know, Arn, as a young boy growing up in Georgia, my idols were the enforcer Arn Anderson and the great Tully Blanchard. And I pretended to be a member of the Horseman every Saturday night at 6.05 p.m. for World Championship Wrestling, or later on for Monday Night Nitro. So the opportunity to be a Horseman is something I have dreamed of for a long time. So my answer to you is it would be an honor, and the crowd erupts. So then I have Tully and Arn. And Perfect and AJ shake hands. They uh, hug and raise their hands, uh, pl- and uh, everyone's applauding in unison. This is a huge, huge deal. But out of nowhere, the Judas effect of Chris Jericho, Adam Cole, Roddy Strong, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly attack the Horsemen with chairs and basically give them a beatdown. The crowd's booing and going nuts. Jericho then takes the mic and yells out, Do you know what happens when you mess with the Judas effect? Do you? Huh? Glue Factory Horseman, you stupid idiots. You just made the list. <laughs> er, and then he writes their names down on the list, and the crowd erupts. And so then the Judas Effect walks out. But uh, I have to tell you, and so the, the takeaway was adding two super talents like Mr. Perfect and AJ Styles to the Horseman stable to better even the odds against the Judas Effect. But I still want to keep heat on the Judas Effect after a disappointing Friday night rock and wrestling where they lost a few matches. But I have to say that when I was writing this segment, I was definitely thinking of you, Scott. <laughs> I hope so, because I, everybody knows my 
uh, irritation with Mr. Perfect uh, turning on the horseman back in 97, I personally feel like that was the beginning of the end of WCW with that very move right there because everybody that was a wrestling fan up to that point had always said, you know, Kurt Hennig would be a perfect, no pun intended, addition to the Four Horsemen. And finally, everybody's dreams come true. It looked like it was going to happen. And then on that pay-per-view, he turned his back and went with NWO and became a nobody, basically, just like 20 other NWO guys that should have had bigger uh, pushes. So... I, I hope your writing is much better than Vince Russo's uh, going forward, and I hope that he has a long-lasting horseman connection but, because that was money missed right there for WCW. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and that's honestly when I was thinking of factions and stuff, I was like, since I didn't have flair, I mean, and you draft Tully and Arn thinking, hey, they're going to be together. With me able to have Wyndham, I'm like, I can still put a horseman group together, and Perfect was – you know, an ideal candidate for that. And uh, I like the idea of AJ Styles as well. And and you mentioned to me, you know, offline, I mean, he was a part of a, a faction as well. But it's interesting about with the perfect or the really in WCW is Kurt Henning. Uh, Arn Anderson on his podcast, I think, I mean, it was recently, and he was talking about that. And he was saying, you know, it was his idea for them to write in Kurt Henning to be a horseman because he was like, Kurt is being booked so badly at that was, was being booked so badly at that time that, and he was like, you know, the horsemen are trying to make a comeback. And he's like, there wasn't really anybody to battle the NWO other than just occasional, you know, they'd have things with sting or Luger or whatever, but the horsemen were not what they were. And of course, Arn had his injury and he wasn't going to be able to compete. So he thought it was, you know, ideal for Henning to come in and, uh, you know, take that, that spot because then all of a sudden you've got a very strong faction that can battle the NWO and really make some money off of it. And so then when Henning turned on it based on the writing, he just became another guy in the NWO, like what you said. And uh, then the horsemen, I mean, you know, there's no way they could compete with the NWO. And so, they didn't have that hot faction right. to battle the NWO. So, so I'm trying to avoid that here. Yeah, and I do like the connection with AJ because he uh, grouped up with a group in TNA under Flair when Flair retired from WWE and went over to uh, TNA, and Flair headed it up, and they called it Fortune. And they got in trouble because they first came out holding the four fingers up, and, of course, WWE had to – throw a fit and, and raise a legal issue. So they started doing a different hand signal then, but the, the faction that they put together in TNA was quite good. It was, uh, Robert Rude, uh, AJ, uh, your boy, uh, that does the, uh, announcing over there. What Nigel McGinnis mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, cowboy James storm. It was a very good faction for TNA and it was very entertaining. And, uh, I think that that fits AJ because I mean he come back you know he was coming out in the suits and the Rolexes and the sunglasses and and all that back then so he can play that part very well so it, it's very fitting I think it'll work out. Well, and I I picked those two as well because I just looked at Jericho's stable of you know it's Jericho Adam Cole Roderick Strong uh, he had Luger and then um, 
he had um oh shoot um Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. So I'm like, okay, well I've I've got Tully and Arn who can match up with um, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, or when I have Tully and Arn go single, you know they could go against Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, and Jericho. They're all about the same size. You've got Wyndham who can go against Luger. Um, so I just saw a lot of good matchups there, and I was like, if I don't have AJ and Perfect, especially Perfect in this, I'm like, well, wh- what direction do I go with Perfect because he's he's usually a heel. Right. So I'm like, well, we're going to put him in matches with. I could match him with Ricky Steamboat. I could match him with Rollins and everything. But I, I like the pairing of him as a horseman because, I, like we said, it was really a missed opportunity that I had an opportunity to create again. And I think with AJ, he matches up with all those guys um, very well also. So that's how I ended up with my faction right now of the horsemen. And I, I won't use four horsemen. I'll just use horsemen. Um, so then... The next part of the Monday night is one that I personally enjoyed writing, and that's we return from commercial, and the camera's backstage, and it shows Jericho, uh, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Fish and O'Reilly. They're laughing it up and celebrating that they beat down the horsemen when they approach Lex Luger. And, of course, Luger's all oiled up and doing a photo shoot and posing for the camera, and he's getting ready to do an interview with a smoking hot blonde reporter who's actually a local TV reporter on WPSD channel six out of Paducah and it's TV reporter, Amy Watson. So, and I just thought that if they had a Monday night nitro or a a raw or something, WPSD would have sent a reporter there. You know it. So, and Amy Watson is from Murray. Uh, she Murray state alum. And, um, so I thought she would be the natural one to come and, cover the episode so she's interviewing uh the total package lex luger about wrestling returning to murray and amy was telling lex how it's such a big deal to have wwf in murray and she was asking what's it like to be the total package in every woman's dream and every opponent's nightmare and of course this is all kayfabe because uh um or this is all fake because amy watson is married and has kids and i think grandkids now but anyway just for fun Lex thanks Amy so much for the compliment and goes into an interview, but Jericho interrupts. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? Lex, you just missed our beat down with the glue factory horseman. Lex replied, yeah, sorry guys, but I was finishing up a photo shoot with a TV station here and they booked me for a, a press release. And Amy Watson interrupts and says, excuse me guys, Amy Watson from WPSD channel six here. She, say, uh, she say, shakes Jericho's hand, but Lex, we need to get back to our interview because I have a deadline to meet for the 10 o'clock news. So Jericho's ticked, and he replies, Now listen here, Dollface, if you want to talk to the member of the hottest organization in professional wrestling, the Judas Effect, you have to go through me. Amy replies, Well, what if I just want to talk to the hottest wrestler? And she pats Lex's abs, and Lex just smiles real big. If I wanted to talk about keg parties, and she pats Jericho on his stomach, because I've made a few comments about Jericho not being in ideal shape right right now. Um. So she said, if I want to talk keg parties and she passed Jericho's stomach or do a story about out-shaped, overhyped, middle-aged rockers, I'd know who to interview. And the crowd erupts. So Jericho's incensed. And he's like, listen here, Amy Watson. Do you know what happens when you insult Chris Jericho on national TV? Do you? Huh? Huh? Amy Watson, you just made the list. So Amy replies, and she's like, well, just unsubscribe me from that list. Come on, Lex. We have an interview to, to finish. So Jericho yells at Luger. It's like, Lex, Lex. And Lex replies, 
What do you expect me to do, man? You know I'll get fined for ditching reporters, especially the hot ones. Besides, this lady wants the total package, and that's what I'll do. I'll deliver, and the crowd erupts. So this is kind of creating some heat between Amy Watson, the local reporter, and Chris Jericho, and maybe a little bit of friction with Lex Luger. So, But uh, I just wanted to introduce the Amy Watson because I just thought it would be a funny little local thing. So keeping with the locals, um, on Monday night um, madness, I've had my first match being Ricochet versus Barry Horowitz because Ricochet is a native of Paducah, Kentucky. So I had Ricochet come out to a big uh, applause. Of course, I didn't know. Apparently, there was a wrestling training school in Hardin, and that's where uh, Ricochet trained. And um, the guy from um, AEW, uh, Chuck Taylor, who is in uh, the Friends, he tra- he trained on that right. that group as well. So it's just kind of like bringing a local guy back. So I have Ricochet go over Barry Horowitz. Um, then keeping it with Kentucky, I had Hillbilly Jim come out with Little Beaver, the the midget against a Brooklyn brawler. And of course I have the brawler again, trash talking, um, the people of Murray and, uh, everything in the crowd booze. And, uh, brawler says, yeah, he steals a mic from Howard Finkel and says that he's seen a lot of garbage in his day working for the New York sanitation department, but he's never seen as much white trash as he has in Murray, Kentucky in the crowd booze. So then uh, Howard takes the mic back and introduces from Friend, from Mudlick, Kentucky, say hello to a country boy, Hillbilly Jim. And so, of course, Hillbilly Jim comes down and um, gets the big ovation, and I have him going over and and um, winning and then celebrating with some square dancing in the ring with uh, Howard Finkel and a bunch of the sorority girls and stuff. Just fun country fun. So uh, – Anyway, so I wanted and I wanted to get Hillbilly Jim over just because even though he's I drafted him as a jobber, I need him to be a good serviceable jobber. And it's like if if you just don't have him putting good matches over and you have him losing in Kentucky, I think that'd be bad for him. So then I have another episode of Piper's Pit. And long story short, I just have another beatdown with um, uh, Kevin Owens interrupted again. Um, Piper was upset, said that he. Uh, wasn't invited he should leave and then things quickly escalate and then all of a sudden uh piper and paul orndorff attack kevin owens but then this is an opportunity for me to introduce bruno sammartino to come out and help even the odds with um with kevin owens and uh, so ultimately kevin owens um gets beat down but the living legend bruno sammartino comes out to his aid because i was kind of struggling on how to bring bruno out and so I thought if I can have him as kind of being the, the rescue guy and have some heat with Roddy Piper, that would be pretty good. So this is also setting up a match later in the night with uh, him, uh, Kevin Owens, taking on Paul Orndorff. So then um, I wanted to introduce Sid Vicious, and I just introduced him in basically a, a, a squash match where I had him take on Paul Roma and Jim Powers in a handicap match and just completely dominate them. And then he gets on the ring ring mic, and he's like, I demand competition, and I'm not leaving here until I get some competition. And whose music hits but Brock Lesnar? So to me, that was like an oh-my-gosh moment. And Brock Lesnar comes down, you know, Sid's staring him down, and Sid, Sid is intense and ready to go. So they step in the ring, and they go nose-to-nose, nose, and then ultimately it's just a brawl. 
that it goes back to the ring. But I like the idea of pairing up Brock Lesnar and Sid Vicious. I think so, funny. Yeah. And then um, I start with my TV title matches, um, my TV title tournament matches. So basically what I'm doing here is I'm having um, a series of six matches. So three were on um, Monday night. And um, start off with Jimmy Garvin versus Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert again. I mean, pretty similar match that I had the first time. I, I keep Jimmy Garvin strong um, by winning, but I have, a, have it where Precious and Missy Hyatt get involved. But ultimately, um, I, I'm selling this fight with uh, Precious and Missy Hyatt as well. But I, I moved Jimmy Garvin along. Then I had a wild match with uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker and uh, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer that was just basically like a hardcore match. I mean, Snooker's jumping on Sawyer on, on – the top rope on the announcer table and Sawyer's hitting Snooker with chains and just a really physical match. But ultimately I put Snooker over um, in a brutal match. And then I have that battle with Kevin Owens and uh, Paul Orndorff. And um, I mean, this, I would really love to have seen this match in real life. I mean, I think a Kevin Owens, Paul Orndorff match would have been tremendous. And I had it where, you know, hard hitting, you know, Owens is getting in his senton and his, um, you know, cannonballs, but Orndorff is hitting his suplexes and everything. I mean, just really a hard-hitting match. But um, ultimately, I had it where um, I picked Kevin Owens going over, where Orndorff initially, it was where uh, Orndorff got thrown off the barricade and uh, then Owens hit him in with a cannonball, but then he throw, uh, throws Orndorff into the ring for a cover, but Orndorff kicks out of the cannonball. So then Owens kicks Orndorff and then goes for a frog splash off the top rope, but he misses. That allows Orndorff to catch his breath, and then he punches Owens and sends him in uh, for a big suplex. Owens kicks out at two. Orndorff then drops a few elbows um, and sends him to the mat and um, then puts a sleeper hold on him in the middle of the ring. And it looks like Owens is about to fade, but he ultimately falls on the ropes where Bruno San Martino comes from out of nowhere, hits o Paul Orndorff over the head with a chair. Orndorff is dazed. Then Owens hits him with a stunner for the win, and the crowd goes nuts. And Owens and Bruno are celebrating, but then Roddy Piper runs in, and he is upset. He is like, this is ridiculous that uh, Bruno hit Orndorff over the, chair, or over the head with a chair. And he demands the ref to go talk to McMahon and Jesse the Body and reverse the decision. I mean, Jesse the Body even confirmed that's what happened. But the ref said, I'm not overturning it because I didn't see it. And so Orndorff lost. But ultimately, that was a way for me just to keep more heat with Piper, Orndorff, um, Owens, and also uh, now Bruno. So then um, I had another battle with Seth uh, Rollins and Ricky Steamboat that was um, – Another really great match. This time I gave him 30 minutes because they had a time limit draw uh, previously uh, on for 20 minutes. But ultimately I had it where, um, let's see, I had it where toward the end Rollins threw Steamboat out of the ring and does a suicide dive to add more punishment as Steamboat tries to get in the ring. He's blindsided by Rey Mysterio who comes out from under the ring and holds Steamboat's leg so that he can't get in leaving Rollins in prime position to come out for the stomp. So he flattens Steamboat and finishes him off with a pedigree for the win. Then Seth Rollins keeps the beat down on Steamboat, and Rey Mysterio joins him. But then he starts a beat down on, Rey, on Steamboat. But then, all of a sudden, he changes, and he grabs the chair, 
and uh, starts beating Seth Rollins. So right now, we don't know what the heck Rey Mysterio is thinking. He's walking away with a chair held high and the crowd's cheering. They're like, what the heck is going on here? So I tried to keep it where I'm, I'm trying to push Rollins a little bit more because I think uh, you know I, I kind of need something to do with Rey Mysterio as well. But even though Steamboat took the loss, I had him lose um, with a, a cheating fashion. Then I had uh, my final match of Lex Luger versus Barry Windham. Um, this is a rematch of one of their earlier matches. Um, it was a really great match going back and forth. Um, initially, actually, actually, wait a second. Actually, no. Um, Lex Luger's music hits. He comes out. He's accompanied by Amy Watson for the main event against Barry Windham. Lex gets a huge pop. Um, and he enters the ring and he does his pose down and then announcer Howard Finkel announces Barry Windham, but Barry Windham doesn't come out. Instead, it's this huge guy walking down the aisle and McMahon and Jesse, the body have no idea who it is, but on the Titan Tron, it's saying Keith Lee. So Luger looks confused and grabs a mic and he asks this guy who he thinks he is and that Luger has a match with Barry Windham and. Lee answers back, not tonight, you don't. He points to the Jumbotron where he had attacked Barry Windham backstage and he's taking the spot in the match. So Keith is like, now you got a, uh, a match with me, Keith Lee, bask in my glory, which is his trademark phrase. So Keith then attacks Lex Luger and it's a back and forth match, a lot of high points. You know, Luger's going to get his clotheslines in, but you know, I have Keith Lee getting a lot of his um, big uh, matches or moves in as well i mean his chops his power bombs everything like that but uh ultimately what happens is it comes out where um luger delivered a big shoulder block and lee stood tall luger attempted again this time lee wiped luger out with a running shoulder tackle of his own lee put him in a bear hug you know all kinds of back and forth stuff but ultimately the judas effect comes out and they attack lex luger led by chris jericho and um what happens is the reason why they attack him, Luger is thrown out of the ring, but then they basically prevent Lex from getting in the ring. So they hold him down, start beating him up. You know, Jericho hits Luger with a chair <clears throat> multiple times, and the beatdown continues until the horsemen come out. You know, so it's Wyndham, Arn, Tully, Perfect, and AJ. They fight off the juice effect for Lex, and uh, the horsemen run, and Lee gets involved as well. So the juice effect runs out of the ring. Jericho grabs a mic and yells to Lex, Lex Luger, you're a stupid idiot. Do you know what happens when you disrespect Chris Jericho and the Judas Effect on national TV? Do you, huh? It means you get your butt kicked by the Judas Effect and kicked out of the group and replaced with our new member, Keith Lee. So Keith Lee takes a mic and says, Lex Luger, you just made the list. And so the match takeaway is that Keith Lee is now a, um, a member of the Judas Effect replacing Lex Luger, which I... That's one of those where Christian was talking about, hey, you know, you start writing and you think of different things. And I was kind of struggling on how to use Keith Lee. Um, so I ultimately thought he would be a better fit with the Jericho group, especially with him having a connection with the NXT guys. And uh, and it gives an opportunity for Luger to either be a horseman or he stays out on his own. So that's how that match ended. Um and basically what I've kind of done the past two episodes, not to go into too much detail, but I've, I've kind of continued my my tag team tournament, or I started my tag team tournament, and I have also continued my um, 
my uh, light heavyweight or my TV title. So what I did is on Tuesday night, I started the tag team tournament and I had a play-in match. Um, it was the dynamic duo taking on the Midnight Express. And um, this is a great match. I had this actually set in Louisville, Kentucky, Christian's hometown. But um, I, I set that up because I felt it would be a natural match uh, to follow from Monday night. So basically what I do here is um, – oh, and I forgot to mention the pri- previous Friday. That was kicking off the tag team tournament. So I would had the Freebirds advance, the Rock and Roll Express advanced, and also the Road Warriors had advanced in the first round. So this was going into the last part of the first round. So since Sid Vicious dominated Paul Roma and um, uh, Jim Powers, I had the Midnight Express making a triumphant return to Louisville with Jim Cornette to wrestle the dynamic duo in the uh, tag team tournament match. And so ultimately I had the Midnight Express going over in a very heated battle. Um, ultimately I had, um, Jim Cornette did get involved, a high intensity match, but ultimately the Midnight Express goes over with hometown legend, Jim Cornette. Then I have, um, a match, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross taking on the Bella Twins where the Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are looking to get, um, revenge. And it was a really great back and forth match. You know, both teams get their moves in, but ultimately I have, um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross getting revenge on the Bell Twins after the Bell Twins destroyed their set of Moment of Bliss last week. And then ultimately um, I had a, another tag match where I had the Road Warriors versus the Bar. Um, the Road Warriors went over in that match. Just another very intense match uh, in the tag team tournament. And then I also had... Let me see. Just going through my notes here. Yeah, so that was the tag team tournament match number two, the Road Warriors versus the Bar. And then going into Friday, I continued that tag match. I had a, I set up a match with um, the New Day versus the Midnights. Great match, but the Midnights go over in that. And in my tag tournament, I also continued um, with an interesting feud that I thought would be pretty cool. And that's a battle of brothers with the Von Erichs versus the Steiners. You know, we never got to see that match, but it was a battle of the brothers. Ultimately, I had the Steiners going over due to interference from Gino Hernandez and um, uh, Chris Adams screwing over the Von Erichs. But I just felt like, you know, I hadn't had a match with the Steiners and I wanted to put them over. So that's what we did on Tuesday night. And I was and then, I was pleasantly surprised that you put the Steiners over the Von Erichs because I know that you're a Von Erich uh, mark, so I I'm happy with that. Well, the reason why I did it, I was kind of looking glo- you know, big picture on this, and my thought was, if I have the Steiners lose in the first round, that's that's making them look pretty weak, right? And and I could still have the Von Erichs lose by interference with uh, Gino and Chris. And my thought was, if Gino and Chris, you know, they lost to the Midnight Express, so what direction were they going to go? And by having them get involved with the Von Erichs, I felt that still gave them heat, and it still gave the Von Erichs a viable feud to go after. Right. And ultimately, I, I kind of want to set up where I have 
you know, a potential Road Warriors versus Steiners match, or you could go Steiners versus the Freebirds. Um, so just to kind of cut to the chase of where we are in this tournament now, we on Friday night we did continue more with the tag team tournament. Um, and where we are, I'm sorry, where we are in the tag team tournament right now is I've got, and setting it up for Tuesday, I've got the Freebirds in it. I've got Tully and Arn. I've got um, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. And then I have um, the Steiners and uh, the Road Warriors. So that's what we're going to have on our Tuesday night show. And then um, Friday we continued on with the um, singles uh, division in the tag team, uh, the TV tournament. I had Adam Cole versus Jimmy Garvin. Adam Cole went over in that match. Um, I had Superfly Jimmy Snuka take on Kevin Owens in a very, very physical match. But ultimately, I put Kevin Owens over in that match. In the last t- uh, TV title match, I had uh, AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. And I have AJ Styles going over in that match. So ultimately, I have it right now where I've got uh, my final three in the TV title tournament. It will be Adam Cole, Kevin Owens, and AJ Styles. And it's going to be a match the on Monday Night Madness that's a double elimination tournament. And I'm not real sure how I'm going to book it yet. But that's where I am. So in a nutshell, that's where we are with our tournaments and our feuds. So... That's a lot of information to cover yeah. in a few hours. But um, so what's your um, what's your thoughts on, um, you know, some of these matchups uh, that you've got planned for uh, your division going into the week? Well, I've got to continue the Hogan Brody uh, feud and keep the fire lit under that. I've got to resume the Doom and Harlem Heat feud, which uh, I didn't cover on Saturday uh, which you haven't even seen that episode yet, but you will uh, shortly. And then uh, I've got a few other things on the on the burners to get going. Uh, and I, I had a few debuts uh, on the Saturday night show that uh, you'll find interesting. But I don't know, man. I'm really kind of uh, letting it happen as it goes, and just kind of you know, I got to bring Raven back into the mix. He's a zero. He's an zero and one right now. I can't leave him at that. And then, uh, you know, there's a few on my list that hadn't even been accounted for at all yet. So I did a promo with the rock for Thursday night prime. I'm going to have to kind of tune him in somehow or another. And, uh, just kind of, you know, the Russians and demolitions pretty hot right now. So I got to keep that going and, and, uh, let that culminate. And, uh, you know, ultimately the, the feuds that I got going on will top off at the, my first pay-per-view, which I'm planning for like end of, uh, summer. I'm going to do uh, several weeks worth of programming and let stuff build up and then do my pay-per-view a little later. And, uh, yeah. probably have one at the end of summer, one at, uh, like late fall, early winter, and then, uh, one in early spring. And we'll, we'll kind of figure that out. I'm going to space them out a little bit like the old days. Cause I, I want stuff to build up and, really draw people's attention to the pay-per-view instead of having 12 pay-per-views or 13 pay-per-views a year. So I wouldn't have the time to write for it. No, I don't have that kind of time either. And, and once we go back to a uh, full schedule at work, man, this is going to be tough. We're, we're, I'm yeah. going to have to start summarizing more <clears throat> for yeah. sure. Well, one thing that we'll 
we'll probably do too. I mean, since we do the podcast every week, I mean, maybe we just do it like every other week because at the end of the day, you know, gyms are opening up and I'm going to have to be in the gym and then you got responsibilities with work. So it's, we may not be able to do our weekly show. Right. Right. So, all right. Well, it sounds like everything's going pretty well in Tudor International Wrestling. And um, I don't know that I agree with Christian that his, that, that MCW's got the ratings war though. Because <laughs> I, I fully expected him to come out with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say this though, when he came out on his first show and he had Flair talking about, um, you know, they're kind of bashing my organization and stuff. I'm like sitting here thinking what great publicity for, for my federation. People are hearing this and they're wanting to know what's going on on my federation. So they spent the first uh, opening segment talking about another federation. And I was like, I mean, if I was a, a sponsor, I would be kind of ticked, but anyway, but the last few episodes have been really good. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Hey, well, I appreciate you taking time to come on. Um, we'll touch base in a couple of weeks and see what's going on in the world of fantasy wrestling booking. Well, thank you again so, for orchestrating it, man. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun for sure. Yeah. And thank you to all of our listeners uh, for listening. Hope you uh, enjoyed the storylines and we'll be back in a few weeks with uh, some updates on what's going on in the federations. Thanks and have a great day.